0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed. That's it. Just welcome back to Critically Acclaimed. It's a film review podcast. Oh, yeah, I thought something really, really, uh, uh, really crazy was going to happen, we're the, really loud. Where the best films and the best films are the best films. There I, you I go. suppose that's true. Uh, yeah, there's, no, there, there's actually no collision this week because uh, we we're just talking about the best films of 2019. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for uh, IGN occasionally. I've written for, I've written for Bloody Disgusting once. Oh, yes. I had an article published in TV Guide. I'm kind of a big deal, well, except I'm not. Just published for it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I need to. Uh, I've, I've had like a pretty bad case of writer's block for mm. about a year. How we got that? Oh, thank you. It's Dang. gone. <laughs> Just, it's a little block of ice that sizzled in the pan. Um, uh, so, yeah, haven't haven't had a move to pitch a lot, but it's going to be a new year. And uh, this year I'm going to be inspired because I'm talking about some really, really good movies.
1: Yeah, my name is William Bibbiani. I'm a yeah. film critic for Bloody Disgusting and The Wrap and other places as well. Uh, and everybody calls me Bibbs. This week on Critically Acclaimed, we're very excited because this is the week where we talk about the best movies of the year. Next week, we talk about the worst movies of the year, and then the week after that, we talk about the best movies of the decade, mm-hmm. and then after that, we talk about the worst movies of the decade. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle there, we'll start reviewing the new releases of January. If we must. Look, January, I've is- seen one film coming out in January. I won't tell you which one,
0: but it did suck. Oh, no! <laughs> I haven't haven't seen any 2020 films yet. I'm not, not that far ahead, but... Yeah, as as you probably all know, January's a rough time for film critics, because January is rather famously a dumping ground. The big awards bait movies don't come out in January, Mm. the blockbusters don't come out in January... Shit comes out in January. Well, uh, shit comes out for us. Everyone yeah. else, all of the, like, the
1: blockbuster, not well, the blockbuster, all of the, the Oscar bait. The films
0: bait. open wide for most of the country, most mm-hmm. of the world, in fact, uh, in January. But, so yeah. you
1: guys get a whole bunch of good movies, but we've already
0: seen them, so we see everything
1: else that studios just try to unload while everyone's distracted by the awards bait. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're going to get to see stuff like A New The Grudge, and it's still
0: American. I'm sure it's,
1: it'll be great!
0: Uh, and it's the same director as the previous two The Grudges. No, it's not. Yeah. Nicholas Pesci? Nicholas Pesci didn't do the new one. Yeah, he did. Oh, did he? I thought it was, I thought it was Takashi Shimizu again. No, no, Takashi Shimizu didn't do this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to look that up. I, I could have sworn it was the same director. No, I, like, yeah, I interviewed gonna... him when the trailer dropped. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. I am I'm incorrect. But, I, yeah, we have an, a third film called simply The Grudge. Which is either a sequel to The Grudge or a remake, another remake of The Grudge. Um, I
1: actually, when I want to interview him about it. Uh, mm-hmm. It is uh, taking place concurrently with the rebooted Grudge. Okay. So, like, the thing with The Grudge is... Couldn't they is, have called it, like, the concurrent Grudge? No, because the thing with The Grudge is that a lot of the stories of The Grudge don't really need the other ones. They're just yeah. sort of like, the, and then the... The haunting, which is sort of an infection in the Grudge universe, no. affects other people. So they all kind of stand alone. Mm. And uh, but like for but the sake this, of it's continuity, the
0: same haunting like there's a yeah. mythology. Yeah, 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 to all of this, we'll, we'll it, talk uh, about that when we review the Grudge. And, and, Why don't we just in, do that in Japan? It crossed over with The Ring. Yeah, there's the Ring versus the Grudge in yeah. Japan. Well,
1: it's a Kayako versus Sadako.
0: Well, yeah, or Sadako, but yeah. yeah, it was translated as the Ring versus the Grudge. Well, it's still fun, not as fun as Lake Placid versus Anaconda. No, a real thing. Uh, which uh, one of our one of our listeners generously gave to me as a gift. Yeah, we actually got a gift from one of our yeah. listeners. You got a couple of things. I had a couple of things. Thank mm. you so much. Yeah, I'm gonna listen you, to for... my soundtrack to Zodiac.
1: That's nice. great. <laughs> I'm gonna watch Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Sweet. Um, so uh, yeah. So real, real fast. We reviewed a lot of movies this year. Oh, yes. Um, In terms of just new releases, I've seen around 150 new films, which is actually kind of low for me. Uh, But I've seen a ton of other movies this year as well for our various podcasts. It's been a very busy... Time to be consuming yeah. art for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm
0: also somewhere around 150. Yeah.
1: Uh, Before we get going on our picks of the favorite, actually, I wanted to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has time to see everything. I don't care. Oh, golly. I don't care. Golly, no. What film critic you are. I don't care how much you actually do. Uh-huh. Everyone misses something. Mm-hmm. Are there any sort of larger titles you want to just let people know off the front? Like, eventually you'll get around to it, but this won't be showing up because I haven't seen
0: it. First of all, I'm not allowed to mention Quentin Tarantino's new movie. Mm -hmm. uh, That's been on a lot of top ten lists. Uh, It won't be mentioned today, at least not by me, Mm -hmm. uh, because... I'm just I, Since I work for the man It's a conflict of interest I'm not allowed to talk about it Right uh, Films I missed I didn't see Her Smell Which was a film That was really up my alley mm-hmm. I didn't uh, see that either uh, I didn't see Ash's Purest White Which I heard a lot Of really good things about I didn't see that either um, I didn't see The Last Black Man In San Francisco Which I heard a lot Of good things about Okay I didn't see that either uh, Now I'm I feeling didn't, guilty I didn't see Diane No uh, I didn't see Loose um, no. there, there were a lot of Really critically acclaimed films that people I respect and admire yeah. spoke very highly of that I simply did not get to see. There's
1: a couple of big ones I haven't seen. I didn't see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood yet. I haven't okay. seen I haven't seen Ford v. Ferrari yet. Oh, that, um, you know,
0: that was Kenneth Turan's number one movie. Was it really? Yeah, he thought it was his best movie of the year.
1: Uh, I haven't seen Pain and Glory yet, which I know Ooh. is supposed to be a really, really great one. Okay. Um, not, not to skip ahead, but that's on my list. Okay, uh, let's see. I didn't see The Souvenir, which I suspect is also on your list. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, And a couple others as well. Like, I didn't see yesterday...
0: Which I did see yesterday some people, either. some people
1: really fell in love with that. It also right. ended up on some worst of the year list. So. <laughs> who, who can say?
0: Yeah, I am. Um, but there's always something. Mm. There's always something. Um, but I oh, am. I, feeling... I, only, I only saw half. I, I can't put it on any list because I only saw half of Under the Silver Lake, <laughs> which I was really enjoying. It was just circumstances that ah. forced me away. Right, it's that not that I good. hated it and turned it off. It's right. just I, I wanted to finish it, but since I didn't, I can't mention it. Fair enough. I also only saw three hours of La Flor, the 14 and a half hour Argentinian film. Well, how were those it three was, hours? It was great. Okay. I'm sure if I had made it to the end, I can say something, but <laughs> merely three hours of a 14 and a half hour film is not enough. It's not even a on. third. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. You didn't get out of the first act. No, I did. And the, the online screener came in four parts. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I intend to get to that at some point if I ever have time, but a 14 and a half hour film is a, a pretty, pretty heavy commitment. Right.
1: All right. Well, uh, Wendy and I narrowed this sucker down to our 10 ish. Mm. Uh, individual picks for the best films of the year. Yeah, um, I have a list of ten, and there's like five others that are also in my top ten that I
0: want to be in my top ten. Uh,
1: I, I For the list I'm publishing on our website, criticallyacclaimed.net, um i actually did a top 19 okay um but the 11 through 19 will be my honorable mentions they're all my picks for the best films of the year all right but for the sake of we gotta we gotta cut it off somewhere Hmm. and we have a lot of movies we want to talk about we're gonna do 10 but i'll mention our honorable mentions it'll all be super duper awesome i'm gonna go in order i don't know about you do you have an order Hmm.
0: Uh, I, I I did rank them. That's this is the hardest part of a critics. It's channel. also it's the like arbitrariest this, part. It's the arbit. Yeah, who cares what's number seven versus number eight? But yeah. uh, I try to think of it as this. There's, there's I've, someone be, said there's to be mean, one best, and I then think the so. rest are kind of interchangeable. When
1: it comes to ordering films like on a list, what mm-hmm. I try to think of is this: if you only had time to see one movie. Okay. Which one would I recommend you see? Okay. Okay. Oh, so you see my number one. Okay, then this would be my number two. Oh, you mm. can't find my number two. Well, then this is my number three. Mm. That's where I go. All right. In terms of you, you got it. Mm. So, in any case,
0: uh, let's start with your number 10. When, what you, what uh, is your number 10 pick for the best film in 2019? number 10. Uh, Shazam and High Life were fighting to the death. High Life made it on. Uh, Sh- that's an interesting duo. Well, it just I'm trying to think of how you could put those together as a tie. Uh, both sides. Fantasy? Sci- no, there's no science fiction at all. It's Shazam. It's no. wizards and stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, just I. Uh, Shazam! I really, really love Shazam. Uh, mm. I think it's one of the best superhero movies. Period. And um, it's a great schmudown team. It's and it's a good, great schmudown team. It's also a great acronym. Uh, sure. k- using the. Uh, English translations of those gods' names, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's, it, it's, it has a pulpy feeling. That's why I really, really like yeah. it. Uh, no, I love it too. Shazam was, like, nearly in my top ten, but High Life, uh, Claire Denis' High Life is my number ten. Um, one of two films in my uh, in my top ten with Robert Pattinson trapped in a forbidden place where he goes mad and masturbates a lot. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I thought the plot of High Life was that he didn't masturbate a lot. Well, they, they have, like, an orgasmerator on the ship where they go to sort of, like expend their sexual energy so they don't have relationships with one another, but it doesn't quite work. Right, And everybody... The premise of High Life is actually difficult to parse out because the way Claire Denis makes films, she gives you information very sparingly. She doesn't just, like, lay out the premise. She tells stories Mm. out of chronological order. You're never really sure what the order is for a long time. What you
1: can pick up really fast is Mm. there's a group of disparate people on a spaceship, and they're flying out into space, Mm. and... A lot of them are not exactly the cream of the crop. In fact, yeah. a lot of people are there like because otherwise they would be in prison.
0: Yeah, we, we learn eventually that they're prisoners who volunteered for this uh, life and planet-finding mission. And in a perfect example of what it is to be a working person, if you don't give a report to the computer... About everything you did that day, and prove it, that you did and something for, of value. And yeah, and prove that you actually did something. The computer turns off the ship's life support, so they have to go to this computer at the same, exact same time every single day and prove that they're worth keeping alive
1: for another day.
0: Yeah, for just for twenty-four hours. Ugh. And uh, it takes place, actually, over the course of many, many years, and we get to see in flashbacks and flash-forwards what happened to these people. Um, There's a lot of death, there's a lot of bleeding, there's a lot of beating. Uh, Juliette Binoche plays sort of the the mad scientist in charge of all of this. Mm -hmm. She's the ship's Um, doctor, and after a while, she's the ship's captain. Uh, This is an incredibly cynical movie about the human condition. Mm. It doesn't seem to think that humanity is capable of a lot until we get down to their eventual fate. So uh, I think it and I think it resemble. it's sort of like a, if you will, a French version of 2001 of Space Odyssey, <laughs> yeah. where there's a lot more on we. Uh, yeah,
1: where, like, where this is going on in the corner going a corner of Alphaville. There's
0: going to be exactly there's going to be a lot of despair and death and murder and hubris on the way to eventual enlightenment. I, I finally got around to this. I didn't see
1: it when it was originally in theaters. Mm. By the way, if anyone can hear like a thumping noise in the background, our neighbors are doing laundry again. Sorry about that.
0: We, um, we, we do not have a studio as yet. Someday.
1: <laughs> That's uh, the dream. That would be a great dream. Uh, but no, I finally got around to this, and it is a fantastic film. It didn't mm. make my best of list of runners-up. Too, too oblique? No too oblique it just other movies left a stronger impression overall um i appreciate what claire denis is going for here i actually didn't read it as all that cynical i actually Mm. looked at it as um very humane and um Mm. i i found the film's capacity to find decency and a vulnerability Mm. in the harshest of environments to be actually somewhat uplifting in an ironic way um so, I really admire this film a lot. It did not make my top ten, but I'm glad it made yours. Okay. Because I'm glad we got to talk about it. Because it came mm. out, like, April, and I think yeah. a lot of people kind of forgot about it by now. So, it's really yeah. excellent
0: film. I I have not. I've thought about it a lot since it came out. All
1: right. Well, my number ten <laughs> is a film we talked about not that long ago. Mm. Um, and it remains just as fresh and vibrant and funny and inspirational as it was... At the time, it is Dolomite Is My Name. Oh, good choice. I love Dolomite Is <laughs> My Name. I love it to pieces. It's one of my favorite films of the year, as you may have noticed. It's it's so delightful. It really is. It's inspirational in a way that doesn't feel forced or hammy, mm-hmm. which I love. Uh, Eddie Murphy plays...
0: Uh,
1: Rudy May Roar. Rudy May Roar, the guy who created the character of Dolomite as a sketch comedy routine. And uh, after sort of reinvigorating his comedy career when he was Mm -hmm. already middle-aged, he was like, let's make a movie. And no one wanted to make a movie about a 40-year-old guy with a bit of a belly who who seduces ladies and kicks butt. So he made it all himself and took a lot of chances and took a lot of risks. Mm And he says in the film, I'm going to bet on myself. And through sheer gumption and no small amount of talent, a lot of incompetence as well when it comes to the technical craft, which is where a lot of the in-jokes <laughs> of the movie come from, but when it comes down to he understands his characters, he understands his audience, and he understands the right sense of humor, um, he had it. He had the captured lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And the movie does an excellent job of showing how that kind of artistic entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is work. Yeah. But it's also a little bit of magic as well. Like, you just kind of have to find the right people, support each other, believe in yourself, and put your money where your mouth is. Mm. There's something just incredibly satisfying (laughs) about a story of someone who achieves modest success. (laughs) He's a a, a cult icon. He's a cult icon. Icon. He's a cult icon. But this isn't about... Like him becoming the most respected filmmaker in the world. This isn't about him winning an Oscar or a Nobel Peace Prize. This is about him making a crime comedy with a lot of sex and violence in it mm-hmm. that appealed to there's a great bit where they talk about like you only appeal to like a small number of people. You only appeal to like one part yeah. of like the city. A, a tiny demographic. A yeah. tiny demographic within our city. And what he points out is, yeah, but that demographic exists in every city in the world. Mm-hmm. And he chooses to be beloved and really hit like one target, de- like one audience mm-hmm. that has been underserved really, really, really hard. Just really nourish that community mm-hmm. and not just sell out. And it works, it succeeds. Eddie Murphy is always engaged as an actor. There are some actors you can always tell when they're phoning it in. Mm-hmm. I feel like Eddie Murphy is always going for it, Eddie Murphy is always trying. Yeah. He's not always good at picking the right material, and he's not always good at bringing earnestness to the material. And here, Mm. I think he sympathizes with and understands his character better than most characters he plays, and it is a real
0: wonderful, iconic role for him. I think it's one of his best. Um, It's not on my list. It's actually not even on my runners-up, but I'm not going to object to anything you said. Uh, I think... uh, Eddie Murphy is I feel like he's a little bit relieved because I actually have seen him sleepwalk through a few of his I guess you could call them lesser comedies mm. you know, like your 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 meet Dave's and your thousand words is mm. okay uh, I haven't where, seen those, but usually I see him trying to make the material work yeah where you can see that he's just kind of not quite all there or he's like mm. he's pushing really hard but he doesn't have any ideas you've seen The Haunted Mansion right? Yeah well that's
1: one where he's, he's putting a lot of energy into it yeah. but he's not putting any humanity into it right, like he's right. not trying to make his character really really he, believable he's, he's playing very arch he's
0: Here, playing he's Rudy, Rudy Ray Moore he's very real I think he I mean who doesn't admire Rudy Ray Moore so he probably really admired Rudy Ray Moore yeah. uh, the, I, think he said, I think he said as much the whole movie has a really wonderful sense of humor as Rudy Ray Moore had a wonderful and completely filthy sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> uh, he doesn't look anything like Rudy Ray Moore who does yeah. but he he captures the spirit like a, Anthony Hopkins doesn't look anything like Richard Nixon but he yeah. got the mannerisms down yeah <laughs> anyway it's it's quite good. It's quite good. I like it. Right. What's your number nine? Uh, my number nine. All, right. uh, all of all of my movies. Well, most of my movies are are, are hopeless and bleak and muddy and depressing, uh, just because that's the kind of film I like. Mm. So, uh, and this is one I've been talking about all year. Uh, it's a German horror film called *Hagazusa: A Heathen's Curse*, uh, which takes place in maybe the 13th century. Uh, it's about a single woman living out in the middle of the woods. She has a baby. We don't know. Uh, Who the father of that child is. He's never mentioned. And she doesn't speak a lot.
2: Mm.
0: And she rarely sees her neighbors. But when she does, her neighbors say these really weird, portentous things about outsiders invading. And it has a weird whiff of anti-Semitism to it.
2: Mm.
0: Or this kind of very dangerous tribalism that is indeed uh, driving her mad. Because she is a single mother, she's kind of pilloried from the rest of her society, and she's trying to make it work by herself, but things are getting harder and harder and harder. She suffers at the hands of some of these locals pretty badly, and it just drives her into this miserable nightmare world where the woods kind of come alive, aching for death. And, Fun! and Yeah. That sounds great! It's exhilarating. Um <laughs> This kind of portrait of the way the world undoes itself when you are in dire straits, I think, is uh, is, is really exhilarating. I think it's a really wonderful story to tell. And th- the way it is depicted in Hagazusa is really stylish. It's terrifying. And some really, really harrowing things happen uh, mm. that just will kind of leave a mark on you. And any film that leaves me with that kind of mark is one I need to mention. Is this the highest,
1: uh, like, is this the only horror film to make your top ten? Uh,
0: b- 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 kind of. Okay. There's another one that's uh, arguably a horror film.
1: Interesting. Um, it's been a great year for horror. Overall, oh, and a couple indeed. of horror movies made my list. Yeah. That one, I, I actually missed that one. Oh, okay. Um, even though you recommended it very, 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 very strongly, I do. Yeah, um, I'm a bad
0: person. You're
1: not a bad and person. I,
0: well, just you—you you haven't seen Hagazusa, And I think, uh, right. I think you would be terrified and disturbed by something like Hagazusa. Well, oh,
1: that's a, that's a ringing endorsement, okay. and I do need to check that one out. Uh, my number nine uh-huh. is another film that I think. I think if it had come out recently, it would be a stronger part of, like, the best of the year awards conversation because mm-hmm. it came out in the summer. Not a lot of people are talking about it, which is a damn shame because there aren't a lot of movies this year that have a more potent emotional
0: impact than The Nightingale. The, uh, the Nightingale was another one that's, like... It's on the list, it's off the list. Uh, ultimately, it didn't make it on, but yeah. The Nightingale is is a top ten film. It uh, the, is excellent. The
1: Nightingale is a second film, uh, feature film directed by Jennifer Kent, who previously directed The Babadook, which is one of the best horror movies of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, this film takes place uh, in 1825 in a British penal colony in what is now Tasmania. Uh, and it is about an Irish woman, a young woman, uh, mm-hmm. who has been basically forced into servitude, by a really monstrous uh, it's a, it's a general or a sergeant. He's, or, he's like,
0: he's like the, the prison overseer of the country or some yeah. such thing. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's a British
1: officer. Mm. He's a total monster. He's been abusing her every conceivable way. And her time of service should have been up already. Mm. And he just refuses to let her go. Uh, and when her husband, also a prisoner, who's ta- whose service has been done, and they have a baby together, when her husband actually tells the guy off and says she she should be free by now. Mm -hmm. Those are the rules. But he does it in front of the asshole superior officer so he looks bad. An extremely horrifying event occurs. And I want to warn everybody Mm. right now, if you haven't seen The Nightingale yet, if you have any interest in seeing The Nightingale, the inciting incident in The Nightingale is one of the most brutal things (laughs) I've ever seen in any movie. And that's saying Mm. something. Uh, it no, is, it, however, it, there for a reason. Mm. It's not. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not. not, it's, not yeah. it's not sensationalized. It's not eroticized. It is shown as brutally as it actually would be because this is a film mm. about exploitation. This is a film about how, um, in a colonialist uh, uh, civilization, mm. uh, people, whether it's uh, women or, as we see, uh, the indigenous people of Tasmania, mm. are horrifically abused and treated as less than and we start to also see how these ideas about the inhumanity of others and how it feeds our own inhumanity Mm -hmm. uh, how that is conveyed and taught to future generations Uh, meanwhile, our heroine Actually, goes off on a mission of entirely justified
0: revenge, yeah. but again, it's not like exploitation. Movie no, it's not, it's not fun.
1: It's not fun at it's, all.
0: It's it's driven by a very understandable wrath. Yeah, and not just. You know, her own personal wrath it, wrath, it begins to bleed into sort of a larger cultural wrath.
1: Yeah, we start to see the tapestry all, you know, really of feel. violence. The violence has um, an impact on mm. every single person, yeah, and yeah. boy, does that sound like it should be saccharine, you know, crash-type bullshit, but mm. this movie feels entirely justified and earned. It is yeah, thoughtful, yeah. it is harrowing, think, it is um, really quite exceptional.
0: Uh, Jennifer Kent directed this, and I think if... Uh, I, and just to, to sort of... Postulate. I think if a man had directed this film, had directed a story like this, Mm -hmm. they would have. They would have been tempted to turn her into kind of a badass. Yeah, like she's just sort of gonna taking up weapons and learning kung fu and is gonna like knock a guy's head off with a kick. Uh, there, there's none of that. There's no preparation. There is just rage yeah. here. And uh, yeah, she is not depicted as like some kind of clear thinking badass. She just wants to go forward because she's mm-hmm. so filled with hate over the plight of what has happened to her and women like her mm-hmm. and the indigenous people. Uh, I want to give a big shout yeah, out. Who, who are, what are the names of the two lead actors? Because they're really... Okay, I'm going to... I am I hope I'm
1: pronouncing these names right and mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm not. Uh, the lead actor is Aisling Franciosi. Mm. Uh and I think then it's Aisling. It might be Aisling. Yeah. Um and her co-star, uh, who plays mm. um a, a Tasmanian who uh helps guide her through the bush, but uh ultimately becomes his story as well when he finds out what is happening to his own
0: people, uh is Baikali Ganambar. There you go. That the, guy is great. Those guys are those guys. Those those two lead actors are just so unbelievably great. Absolutely
1: phenomenal performances from both, transformative mm. performances from both. In that they actually evolve in really fascinating ways over the course of the film, mm-hmm. um, yeah. This this is not a fun watch, but I think it's a necessary watch. I yeah, think it's a yeah. if you can stomach some really painful things, this is a movie that. Absolutely warrants mm. discovery and conversation and I'm really, mm. even though parts of it were
0: hard to watch, I'm really glad I watched it. Okay. Yeah, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight uh, is a film that I unfortunately can relate to a whole too closely. It's uh, Joanna, Ho- Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir. I haven't uh, seen this one. Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir tells the story of a young woman. She's uh, in school. She's struggling to be an artist. Uh, she meets a man who is, like, at some sort of afternoon clatch, Who is a complete pretentious blowhard dickhead, but really appealing in a way, uh, because he is so assured and so confident, and he also knows a lot about art, and because she's young and she's sort of falling into that bohemian lifestyle—it's modern, but she's Mm. falling into this bohemian lifestyle— She figures that this is kind of a very romantic relationship, this kind of bickering about art and always talking about highfalutin things, and uh, she's so naive that she doesn't recognize a lot of the really obvious signs that he's a heroin addict, and it's—the souvenir is very, very, very canny— about the way we tend to blind ourselves to a lot of obvious red flags when we're in the re- when we're in a relationship with somebody, um, uh, Honor Swinton Byrne, who's uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, plays the part perfectly well. Mm. In that she is, uh, she's very intelligent. She's very driven, but you can also see why she makes the bad decisions she does. Sure, there's a lot. There's no wisdom there yet. She's in that. Mm weird middle like college age period where you haven't acquired enough wisdom it's really to really hard. operate in the real, real world and this is about her finding that wisdom through a really a really bad and very recognizable bad relationship it can be exceptionally difficult to justify
1: to mm. audiences why a character especially a seemingly intelligent character would make mm. a bad decision even yep. if it's emotionally completely justified mm. because of how they were raised how they process and view the world their velocity whatever in the audience, there's always a little bit more objectivity, at mm. least as the movie begins. Yeah, and
0: as a On result, the, we the, like to we like to think we know better. Yeah. Than, than the characters. Like, oh, why are you running that way? The killer's over there. Well, if you were in that situation, you'd be yeah. terrified. Yeah, because you panic be, isn't yeah. isn't an
1: intellectual. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, is not in an intellectual time. Yeah. And we see that scream handled that very, very famously. Mm-hmm. Nev Campbell complains about why do people always run upstairs instead of running outside when there's a killer out there? And then, and then, it, then she five, five the minutes scene, later, yeah. she does the same thing because mm-hmm. panic doesn't listen to you. Uh-huh. Um, and it can be so... I'm going to I, I appreciate any movie that is about seemingly intelligent people mm-hmm. messing up in a way that I buy. Mm-hmm. If you don't buy it, the, the the filmmaker probably didn't do their due diligence and mm-hmm. help justify their frame of mind. So saying that about Souvenir is really yeah, encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, it's also semi-autobiographical. Joanna Hogg wrote this about a, her own bad relationship that she had. It's sort of like a, a mm. fictionalized version. Um, it's also one of those movies where the characters are all very wealthy, but it's not one of those films where they're so wealthy that you can't sort of relate to their experience. Mm. Um I remember when uh, Jonathan Demme's Rachel Getting Married came out uh, about, about a decade ago at this point yeah. where uh, the central family is incredibly rich and you know they they suffered a death in the family over the course of that well not they talk about the death of a family that happened oh, yeah. before the film and how that has sort of marked the family and driven them apart and put them in this precarious emotional state but a lot of people said they couldn't really relate to that because those characters are so rich they're dealing with the world in a different kind of way mm. Uh I, can, I don't agree with that criticism, but I understand why someone would say that. I think it depends um, on the film. Yeah. Like, like, in the
1: case of something like This is 40, this is 40 which comes up a lot, yeah, because yeah. their problems are solved because they forgot how rich they were. Exactly. That, exactly. that one, like, as much as I was on if, board with that film and actually really liking it, I can't relate to it's that. It's like, a,
0: if they fail, they might have to sell their enormous house and get a slightly less enormous house. So it's like, that's that's, not, that's the big, uh, yeah. big drama for that family.
1: Yeah, it's not exactly um, bicycle thieves. Yeah,
0: the souvenir, we actually kind of get to see how different Difficult uh, finances are for a student of a rich family who sees them making bad decisions because uh, Tilda Swinton plays her mother, her real-life mother. Makes as well, sense. And you get to see how she's being a lot more stingy with sort of allowances and things when she sees that she's making bad decision after bad decision. As a parent, that's something else I can kind of look forward at. Not look forward to. I was but, about yeah. to say. Yeah, I was wondering what but that like, sentence was going to Like, go. uh, is, is there going to be a time in my son's life when he's going to be 19 or 21 and make horrible decisions because he's going to have to? That's, part of, that's going to be part of his growing up sure. period. Everyone always how, screws up something. as a yeah. parent, how am I going to relate to that? So I think that's also a very realistic part of this. I think Joanna Hogg, who's come out on the other side of this, gets to play both parts with utter authenticity. That's
1: great. Yeah. All right, um, well, my number eight run mm-hmm. number eight right yeah uh, is Lorraine Scafaria's Hustlers I loved Hustlers Hustlers <laughs> Good. Hustlers is a fantastic film. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Hustlers, if you missed it in theaters, made a lot of money, actually, which I'm very happy with. Mm -hmm. Um, Hustlers stars Constance Wu as a young woman who uh, turns to sex work, specifically stripping, Mm -hmm. uh, in order to make ends meet. And while she is there, she befriends uh, someone who's been in the industry quite a bit longer, played by (laughs) Jennifer Lopez. The mama bear. And uh, they form a very close relationship, a very uh, close friendship. And when Constance Wu ends up going back into the business after a hiatus, and she finds that after the economy collapsed in around mm. 2009, there weren't nearly as much business, because that kind of business depends upon disposable income, <laughs> and not everyone had it anymore. Yeah, 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 They had to resort to more and more illicit and increasingly illegal means in order to make money. Cats? Speaking of illicit means. Cats, can we not? What if we just don't? <laughs> what if we just don't? Okay? Trying to talk about Hasley's Thank you. Um, Hustlers is in many respects, like a lot of other stories about people who turn to crime. You can pu- mm. uh, put a pretty straight line from Hustlers to something like uh, Mean Streets or uh, yeah. any other just sort of low levels mm. surface, like not like high crimes, not, you know, the most obscene, crazy mm you know, we're running guns from, from France. Like they are not doing anything <laughs> like that. They're just stealing from people yeah. and they're doing it in their own way. It's but like, I, I need orthodontra money. I'm going to get eight minis and do a heist. But hustlers is one of those great films in which specificity creates universality mm. where the more intricate, the world that we explore within hustlers, uh, the world of, uh, strip clubs and the people who frequent those strip clubs and, um, The sort of relationship that people have, like men in particular, have with money when it comes to just splurging money Mm. on the illusion of sexual conquest. Um, The more we start seeing Hustlers take on not just a role of a really crackerjack, incredibly well-constructed crime movie about a really fascinating group of people who have in-depth relationships, Mm. the more you realize this is very specifically about an era.
2: Yeah, this yeah. is very
1: specifically about the, the, a, a time when when financial the, the, crisis. Yeah, when the the financial crisis started affecting everyone in a trickle down way of that the economy hardly ever does. certainly not in the right way, um, and yeah, we po- poverty trickles down fast. Oh, <laughs> poverty trickles down oh, <laughs> with actual like a wealth maniac. stays up top, <laughs> and you just start saying and just becomes like a heroic hmm. uh, sort of fight, and of course people take it way too far, and it gets hmm. really really bad. But the initial struggle to survive in a system that collapsed through no fault of our own Mm. feels universal, and it feels really potent uh, in a way that merely a story about people who took to crime because times were hard would not. It ends up being a really multi-layered experience. Great movie. Uh,
0: What I appreciate about Hustlers is it it takes the profession of stripping and treats it as purely vocational. There's no romance to this job, and in fact, the opening montage, like it shows all of the our main character Constance we and all of the other strippers just sort of lining up to go out on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's just this like dingy fluorescent lit white hallway where they listen to, and they just sort of, parade out, onto, and there's no excitement, there's no electricity, they just sort of go out on the day floor. Job. It's a day job. Well, and, and, even and, we, the, and then we get to see her going home, cashing paychecks, just working. It
1: doesn't just remove mm. the romanticism from it, it removes the sort of perceived cultural tragedy of it. Like, there oh, are people to are somehow, quote, fallen women. Yeah, or, or damaged in some mm. way. And I'm, I'm sure there are. There are also people who are damaged who are accountants.
0: Like, it's just
1: a lot of people go through rough times and 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 end up in all kinds of of jobs. And And there are people
0: who are, yeah, stripping to pay for college or just to make ends meet. Hustlers doesn't. Uh, uh,
1: treat Mm. its characters as less than at any point. It doesn't exploit weakness, it doesn't go too far in exploiting their sensuality, although it of course illustrates it, Mm. because it is an important part of the story. They're using uh, their their sexual appeal to people who would normally just throw money at them to take more money from those people than ever before. Mm. Um... It, it it all functions and it all exists and it's all justify,
0: but it never feels ham-fisted or cliche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite element the the victim, the biggest victim mm. of of the women's crimes, is not men or rich men. It's the male ego, and they a mm. big part of this movie is that they're taking advantage of men who are willing to splurge on all these the what you said the illusion of sexual conquest. But they're not proud of it. There's some shame to what they're doing. I think they realize that there's kind of an illusion that they're deliberately ignoring, and that's what the women are taking advantage of. Yeah. they're The man's unwillingness to admit that they were tricked by something that was obviously
1: fake. Look, they, 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 they find <laughs> a mark. They find out he's rich. Yeah. They, they, get
0: they him, roofie him. They get him drunk and eventually just start drugging them. Yeah, like,
1: and then they just take their money and don't... <laughs> Do anything to them, and then just drop them off somewhere. And then the guys don't call anyone because, as far as they're concerned, they either had a good time or they're too embarrassed to admit it. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I wouldn't call it a perfect crime because the crime was committed, and it's obviously I, you, know, you can't really approve. Yeah. But at the same time, who's, who's really the victim? There? There's a lot <laughs> going on here, and I think the movie acknowledges that there's a lot of moral complexity to that. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And anyway, it's really fantastic. Mm. Constance Wu is getting largely left out of the awards like Such a well, dynamic. Jennifer Lopez is being treated which, as like a potential contender for best supporting actress,
0: which, which is fine. She's. I great. actually thought it, she was a
1: co lead.
0: She, she is a co lead,
1: but you but know, whatever, like it's fine. Support, right? it,
0: it, whatever she. She's amazing, but Constance Wu, like it all hit. There's this weird thing she, she, where, she like. Doesn't, she doesn't have protagonist syndrome where she has no, no personality and no. things happen to her. She actually has a lot of personality. There's something where a lot of, like, scene stealing parts, a lot of people neglect the
1: fact that. In order to steal scenes, you have to have someone have, with have you. Have the scene
0: to begin with? Yeah, yeah.
1: someone, yeah. And if, if, you're, if the movie ends up good and not just it's a bad movie, but this person's good in it, it's because mm. the other people were doing their jobs. Yeah. And it's so easy to overlook someone like Constance Wu because Jennifer Lopez fills the room. Mm. Um, so I just want to give Constance Wu a big shout out. Right. Uh, let's read number
0: seven. Uh, my number seven is Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Oh, uh, that is my number I, one. I feel like I, I I figured it might be. Well, I flat out said it was I, I <laughs> also, previous yeah, I, I also um, don't know if I need to say a lot about it. It's just great. Uh, it is an adaptation of Louise Alcott's novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about the relationship b- between four sisters as they grow mm-hmm. up in uh, around Civil War time mm-hmm. and how they contend... Very amiably with the troubles of poverty and uh, and just difficulty in life, Circe uh, Ronan is Joe. She's kind of the leader of the the sisters. Mm. She's the main character, and. She's also the stand-in for Louisa May Alcott, and what Greta Gerwig does with her arc, and the way it ties in to Louisa May Alcott's arc, is one of the most brilliant things you can do with a literary adaptation. It's incredibly deft, Mm -hmm. in a way that should be kind of like, you'd be like, oh, that's cute, I get it. But the way it's it's handled is brilliant. It's not cutesy at all, it's actually incredibly emotionally honest. Yeah. all four of the actresses who play the main sisters and Laura Dern, who plays their mother, are excellent.
1: It's a perfect ensemble, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Florence Pugh is being completely overlooked by a lot of the awards' bodies, which is a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, she For plays, three
1: different performances, she's being overlooked. But I think uh, yeah, Little Women in particular, she should
0: be winning. Little Women is great. is great in Midsommar, but that's kind of a weird film. So I can understand why people would overlook that one. I and it. I didn't see Fighting With My Family. But uh, you, you've talked you. about how great okay. she is. Maybe I should, have, I should have mentioned that I didn't see that. That's fine, the show. that's fine. Uh, but no, Little Women, she should be... I yeah, think we, she should be we, a and lot. We, we, because we get to see her as sort of a young, naive, bitter person mm-hmm. and kind of see her grow into a little bit more of a bitter adult and then grow even further into somebody... That is relatable and we're at peace with. She does some pretty horrible things in this movie, sure, and yet we still love her by the end. Well, and that's because that we is... understand all of the frustrations that everybody is going through when
1: people say, mm-hmm. "Do we really need another adaptation of blank? Mm-hmm. I get it. Oh, yeah. certain certain how, how stories. Many ha- how many
0: hamlets do we need? Well,
1: it's, there, there are I, a lot of hamlets. I,
0: I would be fine with infinite hamlets, but you
1: know, yeah. it's okay. But this is one of the adaptations I'm going to point to, and just mm-hmm. say, okay, you could have said that about this movie before you saw it, oh. but now, but once you see it, you'll, see, especially if you're familiar with the other adaptations in the book, you'll see that Greta Gerwig adapted the book pretty faithfully. It really doesn't change a lot, other than some structural elements and a bit at the end. But she actually completely put a new spin on this material while preserving it. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredibly brilliant adaptation. In addition to um, reworking the structure a bit so that one of the subplots makes more sense than it usually does when you play it linearly, because there's a character who ends up married to this other character, and when you watch mm. it linearly, you kind of be like, "I don't really." It kind of came out of nowhere. Uh-huh. But when you put a little bit at the end, at the beginning, and then work your way back a bit, it mm. starts feeling a bit more cohesive. Yeah, yeah. it's really really the, clever.
0: The, the the Tracy Letts part. Uh, Tracy Letts plays a, a kind of a a bold and kind of uh short uh, publisher mm-hmm. who's going to publish Joe's story. Yeah. Or maybe it's Louisa May Alcott's story. I don't know. Well, uh, they're,
1: they're the same story, man. They always they're were. They're the
0: same story. And in fact, it was played in such a way that I thought for a second, Saoirse Ronan was playing two roles and she still could be. She kind of is. If you look yeah. at it in
1: a certain way. Um, the other thing I love about this adaptation, mm. in addition to the fact that it's just acted beautifully, it's edited beautifully, it's shot beautifully. The costumes are incredible. Everything works. Mm. Um, this is the only adaptation of Little Women I've seen in which every member of the March family uh-huh. gets sort of equal time mm. and I think equal respect from the filmmakers. Yeah. Almost every other adaptation of Little Women, the major adaptations anyway, mm-hmm. it's Joe's film and everyone else is lucky to be in it. Yeah. And that's all of those adaptations are good, by the way. Like all the major <laughs> ones, they're, all of those are good adaptations. I'm not complaining about them. But. It's very, very clear that a lot of people sympathize with Joe. And you'll notice mm. a lot of adaptations, particularly the Katherine Hepburn version, but to a different extent, uh, mm. the Gillian Armstrong version with Winona Ryder. Sure, um, I the, haven't seen that version. Oh, you know. so good. That's a great adaptation. <laughs> uh, but they play her up as kind of a tomboy. Yeah. And I, when Greta Gerwig, I don't think, has that take on Joe. I think Greta mm. Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan find her a bit more sort of asexual. Actually, it's not about mm. like, oh, I'm just i am into boys, but I'm only into them my own way. She's actually like, no, I'm just doing this. Mm. I'm a writer and I'm not really interested in a lot of other stuff. Like, I just I have my own pursuits and every one of the March sisters has their own pursuits and they pursue them as diligently and respectfully and fairly as they can from uh, Meg's pursuit of just a traditional wedded life. Mm. Uh, but she ends up marrying a somewhat poor guy and how that's difficult. Um, you see uh, Beth's pursuit of sort of emotional and human purity and just trying to be a good person and how that actually mm. is really important to everyone around her And th- then you see Amy who at first is very much about um, ego she's a bit of a she's a bit of a brat mm. and then over the because course she's of the, young yeah, she has- but what she finds is that over the course of the film the responsibility for her to marry well mm-hmm. to save the family, is actually something she takes really, 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 really seriously. Meg married poor. Mm-hmm. Beth ain't going to marry anybody. <laughs> Joe ain't going to marry anybody. If this family is going to survive, someone needs to make money. And as a woman, she can't actually make it. Yeah. Like, you can maybe be an artist, and she tries. But when that falls apart, what can she do? She can marry well. And she treats that as an economic <laughs> decision. Hmm. It is so much respect for every single member of this family. Even Marmy. The mm-hmm. mom, who is treated as, in a lot of films as just sort of a benevolent type, she has a great scene
2: mm-hmm.
1: with uh, with Joe in this one, where she talks about how I was you once, I, I was hot headed and I still am. I'm just trying to control it because I have kids now. Like, oh, it's so it's so good. Okay, let's go. <laughs> on. It's my number one pick of the year. What's, yeah, uh, what's yeah. my number seven? Okay, uh,
0: so my what's number, your number seven. seven? Yeah.
1: my number seven is a film. I'm what, what, at this point, uh, I'm surprised any of these movies aren't in my top five. Because, holy crap, they're good. Uh, yeah, so many it, good ones. It's a really great year for cinema. Uh, my number seven is Parasite.
0: Oh, good choice. Yeah. I, I love Parasite. Mm-hmm. It's not in my top ten. Wow. It, it didn't quite make it up there. Um, there is a kind of, maybe adolescent isn't the right word, mm. but a, a little bit too much of an impishness to the film that I think robs it of some vital edge. I,
2: I disagree. And that's the
0: only thing I can complain I, about I, with Parasite.
1: I, 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 I yeah. see where you're coming from, but I disagree. I think mm. there is an anger. Okay. In Parasite. That's for sure. That I think I think you could read mm-hmm. as sort of the anger of someone who is young and just learning about this thing at the first time. But I don't think it's about mm-hmm. um, adolescent anger. I don't think it's about young anger. I don't think about immature anger. I think it's mm. about the anger of suddenly realizing with crashing clarity just how fucked up the whole world is. Uh, so Parasite is the story of a... Uh, Poor Korean family, mm-hmm. uh, and none of them have jobs right now, and they're all just doing everything they can to scam their way through because they don't really have any other options. Yeah, um, And uh, when one of them picks up, by chance, mm-hmm. a gig teaching the daughter of a rich family yeah. uh, English, mm-hmm. he takes the gig, even though he's not really qualified for it, but he takes the gig. And then he finds out that there's actually a lot of people working for this rich family. Mm -hmm. And if we play our cards just right, we can get all those people fired and we can get everyone Mm -hmm. in our family hired. Uh And so they start insinuating themselves into this rich family's life where the story goes from there. I will not say what I will say is there's probably like a kind of a, a cutesy, funny version of that somewhere. And and surely parasite does have quite a few laughs in it. It's actually a very Mm -hmm. multifaceted film. Um, Parasite plays like a horror movie a lot of the time, because you see mm. just how insidious and frightening it is to exploit a system. Mm. But what I love about it is that although it would seem, based on that plot point, mm. that Parasite, the title, refers to poor people, it does not. And in actuality, there's, there's an accusation to be made on both sides. And as the story progresses in ways which you will not be able to predict, Mm-hmm. and how thin, like, the line becomes between humor and horror throughout uh-huh. as lies are almost revealed and discovered and uh, people will do anything to keep their secrets. Um, It starts having, like, a really... All of these sort of machinations start falling to the wayside, uh-huh. and at least one character starts to realize it's here's what all of our troubles are really about. hmm and their solution to it is fucked up and terrible. <laughs> um, it's it's really harrowing. It is the kind of movie that sort of defies a lot of genre convention. I think I, I think you call it a thriller. Mm-hmm. But it's not really. Like it's just sort of this incredibly perfect unique story that needs to be told exactly this way mm-hmm. and defies a lot of categorization. What I do know is that it is endlessly fascinating. Mhm. Exquisitely told, beautifully acted, and smart as a fucking whip. All right, yeah, I, it's a I, fantastic. I,
0: I agree with all of that. Um, I, I think it also taps into something very real in uh, in Korean culture right now, from what I understand, from what I've heard of mm. uh, people commenting on this. That there is now in Korea this incredible drive to be wealthy there's this new influx of cash and there's this new hyper awareness Mm. of class and this is a a film that is exploring something that is very immediate in korean culture right now and it's something that we as americans who are also very aware of class can relate to i think it is a Mm. stirringly political film and i think it has some really excellent performances Mm. oh what's your number six Mm. My number six is uh, a Chinese film by uh, the first and last film from director Hu Bo, who uh, committed suicide uh, shortly after completing this film. It's called An Elephant Sitting Still. Uh, It is about a family who uh, are all living under a cloud. Uh, This is a film that is about sort of the more harrowing experiences of the loneliness of depression. Hmm. Uh, these people all have their own personal dramas. The son is going through drama at school. Uh, there's a a drama with the father who has to deal with an injured dog. Uh, and there's all of this talk about how in, in between like these very long, ponderous speeches and in, incredibly extended close-ups of people's faces where they say nothing, there's some talk about how they just need to escape, that they're sort of living under this gigantic weight. And it's difficult to think of films maybe outside of Ingmar Bergman that are really able to capture what it is like to have that shroud around you Mm. and this need to escape. And the title alludes to uh, uh, like a a tourist attraction that's Mm. just on the outside of town. And they can just, if they could just go there and see the elephant that's just sitting there, they can kind of come to a little bit of peace and it's, it's a long haul. It is four hours long. And it's going to take a lot of patience. You can sigh all you like. I love you yeah. so much, Whitney. Look, no great film is the wrong
1: length. I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm right. not disagreeing. That was not a sigh because yeah. long movies are bad. Yeah. It was a sigh because, <laughs> of course, you like movies that are this long. <laughs> it's something you like. It's, I like. Yeah. I love you for it. I well, don't always agree, but I love you for
0: it. I, like I said, I wasn't able to get through the 14 and a half hour Le Fleur. It Might have been on the top 10 list just because of its length. <laughs> no, I appreciate the film's that use their length to sort of let the story breathe a little bit. And this mm. one lets all of the experiences breathe, and we do get to see sort of the harrowing nature of each of these characters' souls. Wow. And the last shot was just uplifting and devastating all at once. Is it like is it like the, the elephant flying like Dumbo? Uh, no, it's okay. it, there's no magical realism. Well, this is like a slight element of magical realism, okay. but uh yeah, it's it's uh no, there's no Dumbo. All right. And Dumbo's not on my list either. But uh okay. it's it's on the Criterion Channel. Uh it came and went real fast in theaters in LA, but now I think it's making some pretty heavy rotation on and streaming services. Okay. I really recommend that you seek this one out. Um take some time Prepare yourself for what a slow downer it is, yeah. and come out on the other side, kind of knowing a lot more about the mechanics of sadness. Yeah.
1: Well, my number uh six is going to have to wait a second because mm-hmm. I want to talk about my number six and a third. Mm-hmm. The first act of John Wick chapter
0: three. <laughs> I was wondering. If you're I was do trying this. to figure out. I was trying to figure out
1: where to put it because I Sorry. honestly feel that the second and third act of John Wick chapter 3 basically everything after like he leaves New York yeah in that movie Is a perfectly good action movie, but nowhere near as sublime as the first as the first third.
0: Well, it also gets really silly where they have to like trek out into the desert and find some ancient assassin. Maybe he's ancient, or maybe he's just like Like, assassin king. I appreciate
1: its weirdness. It just doesn't keep up the intensity Mm. and the incredible Mm. joie de vivre (laughs) of the first (laughs) act. But the first
0: joie de mort, I suppose. I suppose that's true.
1: Um, The first third of John Wick Chapter Three, Mm. if you remember, at the end of John Wick Chapter Two. Uh, John Wick broke the rules of their secret assassination society and now every assassin in the world has you know can can kill John Wick mm. for an enormous amount of money. Yeah. So every assassin in the world is out to get John Wick and he's got like an hour to get ready. <laughs> and we pick up right then, but the problem is like he's trying to get out of town and mm. then someone decides to jump the gun and he gets injured and he's basically just got to fight everyone in New York City. All by himself mm. for about half uh, an hour yeah. and it's absolutely fucking incredible filmmaking from start from start to <laughs> the finish of that first act.
0: yeah um the John Wick movies remember why we have stunts because we want to see people do amazing things yeah you you compare this to something like Avengers Endgame came out this yeah. year and uh, I don't, it's not on my list. I don't think it's on yours either. I, I would have made an honorable mention but not quite. Yeah, just, It's a good movie. I
1: really like it a lot. I think it does what it has to do. It, it I does, think a lot of people expect it to yeah. end up on a list because it's such a big deal but it doesn't need extra highlighting. It's the most successful movie ever made and, and it, it is
0: quite good. It, it, it doesn't need another award from me. I, as, as I said about you know, a lot of the more recent Avengers films it does what it says on the tin. It's, it's, yeah. it's a big movie. It closes everything out. It gives I'm, you everything I'm, you need. There's nothing unexpected or, or I'm shocking or surprising about it at all. I'm impressed
1: by how well they brought all the threads together. That doesn't mean they nailed every single one, mm. but it does a remarkable job of doing yeah. what it does.
0: But Good for them. But there's, there's a scene in that movie where uh, people are passing around the big magic weapon MacGuffin, and uh, they're just sort of like leaping across a battlefield, which is like the most brown, drab CGI yeah. background you could uh, you could possibly have for that. Yeah, I know. It's like all these characters, they're doing their thing, but they're all animated. Yeah. They're just sort of swinging around we're watching a cartoon at that point yeah. and while it may be thrilling to see those characters do exciting things we're watching sort of an abstract version of an action film yeah john wick people are doing that shit People are leaping off of horses and jumping from cars and throwing knives at each other's crotches in a knife store, which is amazing. (laughs) And there's like actual blood and heft and sweat and weight to every single bit of it. When somebody gets their head blown off, you feel every chunk of their brain matter. Now,
1: that one isn't actually happening. They didn't actually kill anybody for the film. No, I'm just saying, we have to allow Before anyone's like, well, they use a little CGI. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they erased some wires. I'm sure some of the daggers weren't real if they ended up in someone's shoulder I don't care, clearly the physicality of it has Hmm. been achieved in camera, and there's something incredibly vital about that and the first act of John Wick is so pure Uh cinematically, Uh it could be a silent film and it'd be the coolest silent film ever that it is just ecstatic cinema is some of the best filmmaking of the entire year. If the entire movie had been that good, it would be my number one <laughs> film of the year. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, okay. But it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I want to give a shout out to that. But my number six is actually is actually also a bit of a cheat. It's a tie, but they're really thematically connected. It's fine. It's fine. I I'll, I'll allow it. There, there's no rules here. No, I mean, they're on. not. But I know some people are like, ah, eh, a tie. Uh, yeah, a tie. But these uh, I do feel that these two films play off of each other really, really well. Mm-hmm. And when we look back at sort of... The Cultural Landscape Mm -hmm. of the 2010s. These are two films we can look to pretty clearly. Okay. Uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Okay. And uh, Radio Silence's Ready or Not. Mm. These are both exceptional horror movies. They're both incredibly entertaining and creative. Totally, they're very different. I think Jordan Peele Mm. is going for genuine terror uh, with some humor. Ready or Not is almost a comedy. I I think it is. I think Ready or Not Mm. has as much to do with Clue as it does with any horror movie, but... Um, It is very pointed. Uh Um, Ready or Not uh, stars Samara Weaving, who is, by the way, a god and should be (laughs) in more movies. She should have had her breakout role already. This should be it. Mm -hmm. I hope someone puts her in a big film because she deserves it. Um, But she plays a young woman, working class woman, who marries into a very rich family. The family made its money uh, selling games, board games. Mm -hmm. That's their fortune. And they have a family tradition where every time someone new enters the family through marriage, at midnight, they play a game that is randomly chosen. And whatever that game is. That's that. Some people get Parcheesi. Some people get poker. Some people get chess. Mm. She gets she hide gets the and most, seek.
0: She gets the most dangerous game.
1: <laughs> yeah. She gets, she gets to be hunted for sport. And if mm. she's not dead by dawn, the entire family is going to suffer because it turns out all of their misbegotten wealth is because they sold their soul to the fucking devil. Mm-hmm. Which happened so long ago that most of the family doesn't even believe it anymore. And they don't even know why they're doing this. Mm. Which is a very pointed commentary about inherited wealth. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Do we need to keep being um, this evil? I don't know. What if we lose it? I, I, I guess. Like, could the economy work another way? I don't know if we tried it. No, I'm scared to. Okay, then kill the poor. <laughs> like that's what it boils down yeah, to. Yeah. But it's so fucking sharp and funny mm. and really ex- exciting and thrilling,
0: mm. and it's so well crafted from beginning to end. The entire cast is hilarious. Um, Somebody needs to get some, Samara Weaving and Jessica Roth from the Happy Death Day movies in a movie together. Uh, Yes. And and then give them both Oscars because... (laughs) because they have they have just such wonderful energy in these wild scenarios Jessica Roth is bloody yeah, hilarious and so Samara Weaving has so much strength and power and authority on the screen Happy Death Day to you very nearly made my list
1: because mm. I really do feel like that film sort of redefines what a sequel should be like okay we're, we're, we're sort of repeating Ch- the plot the genre entirely yeah, a, we're changing the genre mm. without changing the plot that's insanity B we're managing to tell the exact same story over again and telling a different
0: emotional narrative yeah, that's a Really clever film. That movie deserves a shout out. I can't think of a series that did that since Alien. Yeah, Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, Same story in Aliens, but different genre now. um, Us
1: is a much more uh, sort of insidious film in a lot of ways. It's also a film that I think, when I first saw it, I was a little distracted by whether or not the rules of its sort of weird supernatural universe work. Mm -hmm. And I'm increasingly convinced that. It doesn't have to make sense in order to be potent. I think there's mm-hmm. an element of dream logic going here. I also think there's an element of, isn't it frightening if the world made no sense? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that Jordan Peele leans into quite closely here. But uh, it is the story of a family who goes to um, uh, like the uh, cabin they've inherited.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and along well, the way... Their
0: vacation home. Yeah.
1: And along the way, they, they get have their home invaded by
0: themselves. Evil, evil twins. Opposite
1: doppelgangers yeah. of themselves, who it turns out are tethered to them in ways that we'll never fully comprehend, and mm-hmm. that whatever the people who get to live on, you know, on the top of the world, mm-hmm. and actually like do things like live and love and spend money and make their own choices do, mm-hmm. there is an underclass that has no choice but to follow them, mm-hmm. and follow exactly in their footsteps, Because they don't know what else to do. And there's something just inherently tragic about that. And when Jordan Peele sets that underclass to work, to destroy (laughs) that which oppresses them, which is all of society above, Mm -hmm. there's something just inherently terrifying about that. And how, like, oh, well, where could all of these people be? That's a great question. You ever read Tale of Two Cities? (laughs) They're right here. You're not seeing them. And then on top of it all, when you find out like Jordan Peele has some twists and turns. And by the end of the movie, when you know the complete story, much like his first feature, get Mm -hmm. out, which is one one, I'm a top 10 films of the decade list right now. Mm -hmm. I haven't haven't finalized that, but it's there. Um, The movie takes on completely different terms. And when you start looking at it from a new perspective, you start seeing an entirely new layer Mm. of, um, I don't want to ruin it for you. There's an entirely another layer to this, which also works on social class and also uh, issues Mm. of uh, hidden identity Mm. that is so fucking strong. And Lupita Nyong'o, I'm... Who who plays two roles? As far as I'm concerned, probably the best performance of the year. She's very good. And she's re- yeah. definitely one of, if not the best performance of the year. Her, she her is and,
0: an incredible, incredible character. Her and, and I actually really love Winston Duke's performance He's in good. this movie. Who yeah. he. Like, his his sort of evil self doesn't do a lot. He's just sort of this, like, brute, mm. just sort of, like, really threatening. But Winston Duke is a big guy, so yeah. he just uses his size. But as the dippy dad, he is, like, so relatable. <laughs> and I love that Jordan Peele knows that that dippy dad is sexy, too. He gets the, like, just... Mm. He, he gets the male gaze, like, right yeah, at yeah. him. He's just like, woo hoo yeah, like, oh, okay, the kids are in bed. There's this one, one great scene where he just sort of, like, presents himself. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, Winston Duke, okay. Let's do yeah. this, yeah, cool. Um, all right, those two movies go right. really, really well together, and I think they they belong in the same line. Okay, uh, neither of those is even on my runner's up list. That's uh, a shame. Uh, Ready or Not, I think, is quite a good thriller. It's very funny, uh, it's really energetic and fun, and yeah, Samara Weaving is excellent. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just a fun thriller, to my eye. It, <laughs> it, it, uh, there's not... Uh, Enough going on beyond that to really warrant, you know, vaunting it as one of the best of the year. It's just a film I would recommend. Uh, Us, I think, is like a Mad Libs with too many blanks. Uh, There is a lot in here that can be interpreted in so many ways that I begin to suspect that Jordan Peele actually didn't have one cohesive idea behind it. He had... 18 different ideas, and you just sort of dump them all in the same film, and I think they're all facing different directions. I disagree that they're facing fac- different directions. And that's a fascinating thing, and there's a lot of really great things you can discuss, and this is a wonderful film to discuss, and there's something kind of frustrating about that. Mm. I feel like it it's ultimately kind of directionless, and as the film goes on and he starts to explain in very literal terms things that were previously much more potent as abstractions, mm-hmm. it starts to lose a lot of its power for me. Eh, I
1: yeah. see
0: where you're coming from there. I don't think all of these things are facing different directions. I think they're
1: hovering around the same locale.
2: Right. And, that,
1: and as a result, if we come across with like different interpretation for it, I think it's mm-hmm. all... Intended to be there,
0: okay.
1: Uh, by the text, if you want to argue it's less focused, than get out. I won't fight you. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um, however, I yeah, get, do believe get, that get by leaving it open ended, clearly
0: about something very palpable. But I think on. by
1: leaving it open ended, I do believe it has a different kind of power, okay. and I really do like it a lot. All All right. Right. Let's move on. I don't want to. I, I could nice. I can explain more, but I don't want to ruin people who haven't All seen right. it. Uh, What is your number five? Uh, My
0: number five is Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory, which you haven't seen yet. I already Um, mentioned. This is perhaps Almodovar's most autobiographical film because it is about a filmmaker, this Mm -hmm. time played by Antonio Banderas. Uh, It's the first time they've worked together in uh, quite a number of years. A couple of years, anyway. No, he's in all of his movies. Uh, But yeah, he plays a filmmaker who's kind of uh, on the backslide. He's also suffering horribly from medical ailments. Like, he just is feeling pain all the time. Uh, he is contacted by the local uh, like Cinematheque about a retrospective of, of his films and how they'd like to talk to him and his most uh, famous lead actor, uh, the Antonio Banderas, Banderas character, who is played by a different actor in this movie. Um, what is the name of the actor? I don't know. Um, I saw not this film. Yeah. Uh, Azier... Uh, oh, gosh, I can't even pronounce his name. Etziandia, I think, okay. is, is correct. I apologize if I just mangled that. Yeah. But uh, they're going to going to have to reunite, though, because they actually had a falling out years ago, and mm. it's not until uh, a lot of time has passed between them that they realize we realize the nature of their falling out. And it turns out that they had been lovers previously, and they had a falling out over uh, the actor's drug use. Mm. Um, back in the present. The Antonio Banderas character is using heroin, It starts using heroin, and every time he does, he starts to have flashbacks to when he was a child and how he came to be the person he is, mm-hmm. and how he lived with his uh, mother, played by Penelope Cruz, in extreme poverty, and this... A obscure location in Spain and how he was incredibly intelligent and was teaching people and how sort of his interest in the arts grew and how his sexuality grew mm. uh, so we're getting kind of two halves of this person's life, the young person in becoming and the old person in decline mm. and we find that when you blend those two together, we're reaching this weird level of ecstatic self-understanding Ooh. Uh from Elmo Devar, that he's not just lamenting his past or putting it like feeling nostalgia about his childhood. There this is this film is far more sophisticated than just that kind of self-involved lamentation. Yeah. This is a film that is trying to find the ecstasy that Elmo DeVar has always lived. If you've seen Elmo Al- DeVar's movies, they're all very vibrant and lively and colorful and warm and they celebrate the human condition in all of its sick foibles. There's all kinds of... You know, and he likes to make stories about uh, the disenfranchised. He likes to make stories about sex workers. There's a lot of trans characters and gay characters, people living sort of on on the outs of of society. And he celebrates them with color and life and joy and, you know, a very important kind of sadness. Mm. And I feel like he is working kind of at the height of his power with pain and glory. It's wow. his best film in a long time. And wow. he doesn't make bad ones. Like, even, his bad, <laughs> even, even Elmodovar's bad films. Like I'm so excited as kind of a lesser film of his. Um, but, you know, here he's sort of like, bad this is one of his best films, that's and impressive. that's a lot to say about a filmmaker who makes great film after great film. I,
1: I, I'm so bummed I never got a chance to see mm. this one. I've been I've been trying. I haven't been able to find it. It's Once it comes out, like, on video, uh-huh. I'm going to totally snag this one up. So thank you again for reminding uh-huh. me about that. My um, number five is a film, you may recall, halfway through the year, we did a podcast in which Whitney and I picked our favorite films of the year so far. Mm. Because oftentimes, our favorite films of the year um, don't. Stay on the list, uh-huh. like it's by like,
0: the end, because they're, they're stale or other things are better. Or, yeah, or yeah.
1: just there's so much like you know Oscar-y kind of stuff gets saved for the end of the year that uh-huh. really isn't room for it. Like one of the films that was on my list first half of the year was a really great film called Transit, oh, okay. uh, which played a lot like Casablanca but in like the modern day as mm-hmm. um, sort of authoritarianism takes hold in Europe. Um, it's an excellent film. That's not even on my honorable mm-hmm. mentions anymore, but it's an excellent film. But my number one at the time, uh, has been dropped down to number five, and even I'm surprised by that, because I think this film is functionally perfect. <laughs> okay. And it's fighting with my family. <laughs> I love this movie. I'm amazed if this uh, isn't on more lists. The, well, it, nobody saw it. it I know! It, it, it
0: has The Rock
1: in it. It, it seems had worked, like a, I had time to find an audience. It, it came a, out in re-
0: February. It a, it yeah, had, it came uh, out in February. It has a really... Um, It has a broad comedy premise, and I think that kept a lot of people away. I think that's true, but once you actually watch it, you realize it's just a
1: really fantastic Mm -hmm. movie about, uh, well, family. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a great movie about sports. Mm -hmm. It is a great movie about um, sort of trying to use... It's about how corporatization has taken control of our dreams in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways, and how if you're not one of the handful of people lucky enough to make it in that, you have to make it your own damn way. Mm -hmm. Um, It stars Florence Pugh. As a real-life WCW wrestler, or WWE, mm-hmm. I, I, forgive me, I'm always hazy about that, All right. uh, whose uh, name is Paige. Uh, that's the that's the stage name she took for herself. She named herself
0: after one of the characters oh, on Charmed. I've, I've seen her action figures.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, and it turns out she's actually from mm-hmm. uh, a whole family of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, pa- her parents are played by Nick Frost and Lena Headey, who are... Wonderful in this, <laughs> uh, and her brother, whose name escapes me, and I want to make sure I credit the actor because he's mm. wonderful too, uh, Jack Loudon. Uh, they are both they're both uh, teens. He's a little older. I think he's in like your early twenties, and um, they're prospective wrestlers. And they've been they have their own wrestling studio, and they teach kids in the neighborhood about wrestling, mm. and they put on local wrestling shows. But the dream of everyone in the family was always to get. Picked up by the WWE because yeah. that's as big as you can get in wrestling. There's no bigger. So if you can get in there, you're in. And so there's actually a trial, a tryout. Both Florence Pugh and Jack Lowden apply mm. and they only take Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. And that creates a big divide between her and her brother. Her brother is told flat out that no matter how talented you are as a wrestler, you have absolutely no charisma And we can't use you. Mm -hmm. You should try to find another dream. And so half the film is him trying to figure out what the fuck to do with his life and how it nearly destroys him. And then she ends up going on her own Mm. to try to pursue her own career without any sort of support system. And she ends up learning a lot about herself, a lot about uh, other people who pursue this career. There's no love interest in it at all. Her journey is more than enough. Mm there's something just incredibly simple and pure about this kind of underdog story. I and mean, fighting with a family is one of the films that gets it because they understand how important it is to be not just entertaining, but to be real throughout. Mm. And it's ironic because it's a WWE movie. I mean, they put money into this. Mm. Clearly they want Does WWE real, to real, look good. Real wrestlers. In it, yeah. And... Uh, Dwayne Johnson's in a few others. Does Paige Could? show up in it? No, I don't think so. Maybe in the credits, but, um, cause she's playing page. It's not like a different version of page. Yeah. Paige. yeah. But um this doesn't feel like empty pandering. It's not like when Saving Mr. Banks came out and it was all about how oh, Disney God, was the greatest yeah. thing ever. It, it's all about how WWE is a business and there's good and bad sides to it. Mm. And we 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 make it what we can while mm. we're inside this business. There's a way to do stories about living in corporate Society, or a mm-hmm. society where corporations have an enormous influence, and in stories about that kind of corporation that are positive without feeling insincere. Yeah. There's a really great anime series called Sanrio Boys mm-hmm. that I look to as sort of one of the great examples of this. Sanrio is the company that makes Hello Kitty. Yeah. They also make a ton of other really adorable little characters and they put them in all sorts of products keychains, dolls, pens, binders, whatever. And Sanrio Boys is a story, it's an animated series. About men Mm. who like girly stuff. Mm. Now, theoretically, that's them saying, hey, we're going to get a whole new demographic. But actually, it's a story about breaking down the walls of what is considered traditionally acceptable for masculine people. Yeah. And actually about people dealing with the emotional consequences of being open about what they like, even if other people around them say it sucks. Mm-hmm. And there's something really emotionally fair and respectful and actually forward thinking about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fighting with a family has kind of the same thing. It's not about how the WWE is the coolest thing ever. It's about how it's a job. Yeah. And this person, this was their dream. They pursued it. Stephen Merchant wrote and directed the shit out of this movie. Florence Pugh <laughs> is amazing in this movie. I cried a bunch of oh, times. Stephen Merchant wrote
0: it as well? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's really
1: fucking good. All right. It is an excellent Here's motion picture, and I do think it is just
0: flabbergastingly well made in every level I haven't it's really curious this sort of arc of WWE as a film studio yeah how they you know we're gonna put wrestlers in movies and they started out with the kinds of things you might want to see wrestlers in like, action, uh, movies, you know, movies. action movies big action movies here they play a cop here they play a far, firefighter here they play a serial killer yeah and, and tough these, guys and these yeah big tough mean brutes then these are the kinds of roles they but then they also do these like really sensitive family dramas yeah with that really kind of back up very traditional values. There's a really sweet movie they did called what the "That's one?
1: What I Am." That's the one with Ed Harris. Yeah, right? Ed yeah. Harris plays a teacher, and it's just about a kid, I think in the '50s or the '60s, who ends up like befriending the one kid in school who's like really, really tall. Mm. It's just a sensitive, sweet family movie. It's really well made. Like, it's not a lot to it really yeah. I'm not gonna say it's a classic or anything it's not that stand by me but like mm. it's really good you should see that
0: movie <laughs> it's a damn shame no one cared yeah. it was so I'm, good I'm so sorry I haven't seen it uh, you've okay. talking
1: you've been talking it up all year and I still haven't seen I it I want you to see that it's I do hope you see it at some mm-hmm. point because I think you'll just like it okay. even if you don't like it as much as I do it's one of those movies where I have a hard time imagine I understand like if someone can't get on board with the Nightingale mm. I get it well, there's that's a lot there one. it's a yeah. hard watch I get it I can't imagine fighting with my family being divisive. Yeah, I think some people will love it. I think yeah. everyone else will be like, you know, that's a well-made film. I think that's
0: at the very least we could agree on that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is, and again, my top four are all such heavy hitters. It's yeah. kind of hard to, uh, kind of hard to pick between you know which of these mm-hmm. is the best. But uh, my number four is Terrence Malick's *A Hidden Life*. Uh, Didn't make my list. I'm surprised. Not even by the runners yeah. up It's
1: very well-made. But it just didn't it's, it's it leave the impression I on me.
0: Th- well, what I what I appreciate about it is its philosophy of pacifism. Agreed. Uh, you look at all of uh, the action films that have been coming out within the last decade, and they're all about the glories of combat, about how great war is. Uh, all of the Marvel films are about war. They're about soldiers. They're about fighting. They're about needing this standing freelance army of superpowered individuals to take on an Ever coming onslaught of terror from outside. Mm-hmm. Or in many cases, just sort of getting back at them when the bad guys get through because mm-hmm. they're Avengers. Uh, in, in fact, isn't there a line of dialogue in one of the Avengers films? We're not the pre-Avengers. We don't, we don't <laughs> prevent things. There's. Mm. Yeah. Something like that. I yeah. For, forgot which film that was. But. Um, uh, whereas there are so few films about the difficulty and the importance and the. An enlightening state of mind that is required to live a life of complete and utter peace. A hidden life is about a German soldier. He fought for the German. He fought for the Nazi army. Uh, saw the horrors of combat and says, "I'm not going back." Not only is combat horrible, but we're fighting for something that is completely ignoble. I am not going to pledge my life to Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And he for a while is able to just sort of sit it out. Like live in his very remote Bavarian countryside yeah. it, home with his it, wife and it, raising his daughters. He isn't called forth yeah. for anything.
1: The mm-hmm. People in his community know what he stands for and don't respect him because it's getting pretty yeah.
0: it's, well, we, it's getting the, pretty political like out uh, there. And, and this, this would actually be a good double feature with Hagazusa because mm-hmm. it is about how these kinds of uh, political leanings that have nothing to do with these remote villages out in the in the Bavarian hillside, uh, still kind of affect everybody's lives, even in the most intimate fashion. And uh, eventually he is called to fight again. He's drafted because they need more soldiers to fight in the war effort, and he refuses. They say, does anybody you know, step forward? I need all the uh, the uh, volunteers to fight in Hitler's army, and he does not step forward. He goes to prison. And it is about how he has to essentially suffer for that principle. And there's part of this movie that you could be tempted to say is sort of vicarious modern eyes looking, you know, saying, oh, I would definitely do the mo- the, the righteous thing sure. in that situation. Because with history's perspective, I know exactly how evil the Nazis were. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that many of us wouldn't. I, I have a feeling like we just sort of fight for our country because that's our duty. And uh, we just sort of have a little bit of moral shorthand with something like a Hidden Life because it is the Nazi army. Yeah. But at the same time, Terrence Malick is very, very good about first of all just his his emotional constant emotional ecstasy is something that is just marvelous to behold in all of his movies. But he's also uh, very careful to show how hard it is to stand by those principles. Well, one thing he's also how hard it is to essentially be a Christian. Uh, Christianity is not an easy out it's not something that you just get to be and it gets you into heaven
1: mm, and then you it's, get to do whatever you want yeah like, you actually like, have or, or, to like, I'll just, stand by I'll principles can, yeah.
0: Can, yeah it's like oh what is it Eddie Izzard said and, we, and they got some principles oh thank god you got some principles we'll put them into the Church of England right here yeah um, Yeah, this is a a film that is about Christian principles and about how it is to live a Christian philosophy and how that kind of life is not celebrated, hence the title, A Hidden Life.
1: I agree. Um, There's something I really admire that, first off, I think this movie is really fantastic, and Mm. just because it didn't make my best of or runners-up doesn't mean I don't think you Mm. should run, don't walk to see it. It's been a great year Mm. for Mm. cinema. Um, One of the things I love about the way Terrence Malick handles this particular film is um, Mm. the people who look down upon mm. the hero in this, for yeah. not standing up for his family, for uh, refusing to go to war. Mm. None of them are privy to the truest and most horrible, horrible horrors of World War II. Yeah. Nobody's talking about the concentration camps. Mm. It's all just in basic principle, and even our hero doesn't really see all of the, the greatest horrors being predicted anyway. He just knows Hitler is a zealot. He's, mm. pre- he's sowing discord. He's making people not trust each other, and he wants me to kill for his own ego. That's all, that's it. He doesn't even know all the rest of it. That's enough to protest. (laughs) That's enough to dedicate Mm. his entire life, whether or not anyone sees it, to formally protesting that Mm. and trying to live the other way. That is, it takes a bit of the stink off of, you know, oh, well, it's so easy when you know about the Nazis, but the characters in the movie don't know everything about the Nazis. Mm -hmm. They don't know the the totality of the horrors uh, committed by the Nazis. So it's really... It's very effective. The only reason it's not on my list, and this is, it's just a little long. I just, I felt the length. I felt the length. The reason why why The Irishman isn't on my list, even though it's excellently crafted, I felt the length in a way I feel like I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, But those are both excellent movies. They just didn't make my list. It's 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 true.
0: A Hidden Life is 180 minutes, and Mm. yeah, it's a long slog. But I think... To, to show that sort of eventual grind, the emotional grind, is really important in something yeah. like A Hidden Life. And I think it keeps up. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it doesn't lose you because of its length. Unlike The Irishman, which yeah. kind of does in long segments. Yeah,
1: um, My number four is a film that is... Mm, let me look at my list here for a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of the most emotionally gripping movies of the year, if not the number one for okay. me. Uh, it is Lulu Wang's The Farewell. Oh, good choice. Excellent. Luca, you want to get off of that? <laughs> Lu- you want to Lu- get away from that? Uh, Luca, from that?
0: get out of the empty boxes. Talk Luca. about The Farewell.
1: He's got stuff in there. Yeah, you can play with your stuff later, buddy. Uh, so The Farewell uh, stars Aquafina as uh, the youngest member of a family. Uh, her whole family that she grew up with are uh, Chinese immigrants. And they have a lot of family left uh, in, in China. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it turns out that her grandmother... Uh, who is played by the great Zhao Shuzhen, mm-hmm. uh, they find out that she's dying. And they find that out, not from their grandmother, but from other members of the family, because as per custom, they're not going to tell the grandmother. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it works. People are just like, well, why, why make the last of her days be unpleasant? And they talk a lot about how it's sort of rude to make her suffer the burden of this, we will bear it for her. We will be sad, but we also want to spend time with her. So everyone goes for one big visit. Mm-hmm. uh they make they rush into a wedding, like two people who are just kind of dating. they rush into like a big wedding for them as an excuse to get the entire family together to say <laughs> goodbye to grandma without ever saying goodbye to grandma. Uh-huh. and everyone is like constantly on the verge of tears, but they can't say anything and Grandma is just like. I don't know what everyone's so goddamn emotional about. Just Let's another wedding. On, yeah. Let's party! And everyone's like, Ah, oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Grandma had a bit of a coughing fit. And everyone's like, Oh, God, is this the end of
0: Grandma? Grandma's just yeah. like, The doctor says I'm fine. I don't know what you guys are doing. Well, well there's there's this really uh, almost comedy of errors segment of the movie where uh, some results are going to get back to her oh, about her illness. And they have to like go through this like really long, complicated... Aquafina has to well, like, run down the street yeah, to try to, get someone subterfuge to get to... to keep those <laughs> Like, switch the results and keep the the truth from her. And and the movie is incredibly
1: honest and frank about how this is a major sort of shift in how different cultures value this kind of of end-of-life decision. Mm -hmm. Aquafina can't wrap her head around this. She grew up American. Uh, This was not something that was a regular part of her daily life, but everyone who's older in her family is like, Look, it's, it's it's awkward, but this is what we do. This mm. is how we do it. And they make really excellent cases for why this is actually more, like, loving and fair. Mm-hmm. And to the point where you can kind of say, okay, I can see your points. <laughs> it's really difficult. And I think the movie juggles those two mm. dichotomies very, very well. It never, like, wags its finger at one side or the other. It's just like, we believe in things, mm. And... Every single scene is beautifully constructed. It's a wonderful ensemble cast. Aquafina is really great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Between this and Jumanji, she's had a hell of a year. Um, And uh, every scene is light and sweet because everyone's keeping it that way. But underneath the surface is like you're just about to cry. (laughs) Every single goddamn scene is hilarious. And just under the surface, you're just about to cry. It is a tightrope act of a film. Mm -hmm. And it is so exquisitely presented. And I don't want to ruin it. But, boy, what a great ending. Like, the movie just goes in such a, yeah. it, it, it really earns everything, hmm. everything that it does. It's just absolutely beautiful. Hmm. And I keep thinking about this one. Hmm. When I was assembling my list, I like, I, you know, I keep track of all the movies I see throughout the year. When I was like, okay, it's time to actually do this damn list. I closed all the windows on my computer. I put closed all my notebooks. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like. Well, what are the films I don't stop thinking about? Not yeah, because yeah. they might be on a list, just because I think about them in my day to day life. Mm-hmm. Farewell comes up a lot, okay, because just the That's, way that it handles mm-hmm. those sort of
0: simmering emotions—it's yeah, just yeah. so so exquisite. Uh, I love the farewell. I think it's very very good. I, I've heard some rather some good legit criticisms, mm-hmm. uh, particularly from cancer survivors, yeah, about uh, kind of a, a bit of naivete that comes with a story like this. Sure, about uh, sort of the realities of cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I, I've heard that and I understand that. Mm. But I think that this is not so much a film about cancer or cancer survival as it is about culture. yeah. And about how uh, there are different ways to mourn and to celebrate yeah. uh, in ways that are completely legit and not difficult to wrap your mind around, but difficult to wrap your heart around. And mm. I think the, the farewell Lulu Wang has did an exemplary job of uh, getting to the heart of that. This movie didn't end up on your list, did it? It didn't. Do did we only have one overlap on our entire list? Oh, we, well, we still
1: have a few left. I'm so, yeah. what's, what's, what's
0: your number three, well, My guess. number three is Olivia Wilde's Book Smart. Okay, uh, that's all my runners up. Okay. But still, uh, that's Book Smart is... Oh, golly, I love this movie. <laughs> want to hug these girls. Um, it's about two teenage girls. They're best friends. Uh, they're uh, facing their uh, graduation, and they have realized that they haven't had a lot of fun. They are the intellects of their college, or their college, of their high school. Uh, they have devoted their life to study, and they get... Uh, one of them, played by Beanie Feldstein, uh, learns that a lot of the her friends that she's really looked down on, kind of the jocks and the idiots that she just doesn't like in her class, are also going to really prestigious colleges. And she realizes that a lot of her devotion to her... Her academics has hurt her socially, so they uh, well, just, she, and, and just personally as yeah. well, like
1: you didn't have to give mm. up other things in your life mm. to succeed academically, yeah, like you could actually like have had all these wonderful you know experiences that sort of form who you are as a person. Mm. you didn't have to choose one or the other, and mm. so now they only have one night left where they're yeah. in high school, so they're like we have to do it all tonight, yeah so
0: they, they it's this kind of mad. Quest to get to, like, the most depraved possible party. The problem is they're such good kids, they're not good at being depraved. And watching them try is hilarious. One of my favorite things is they
1: keep trying to find one party, they end up at the wrong parties, and finally they're like, okay, we know it's at this place, but we don't know what the address is. There's only one thing to do. Study! And they (laughs) go to a library, and there's a montage of them looking up atlases.
0: Uh, It's... uh, uh, Kate, the Caitlyn Dene character, Beanie Feldstein's best friend, is gay, and she is uh, trying to go after the girl that she's had a crush on for the longest time. Yeah, she's gay, but she's the, never
1: actually had, had any, like a, a relationship in, yeah. or,
0: or any kind of, or even kissed someone. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, she's never c- kissed another girl, and she is wants to use this opportunity to do that. And um, where that goes is hilarious. But yeah. uh, it, it's it's a really kind of emotionally honest film. I feel like it's capturing a very uh, important immediate voice of young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like Book Smart has listened to the way young people talk, the way a lot of young people's uh, vocabularies and experiences have become increasingly politicized, mm-hmm. and is using that to tell a much more immediate, emotional, honest story. It, these kids are new archetypes they're not drawing on the old ones they kind of it's
1: interesting because they kind Uh, of are this is the kind of story that mm. has been told before like one mad crazy night yeah a lot of
0: people have to have compared it to super bad this is vastly superior to super bad you're
1: not Uh, wrong about that mm. but like I just feel like the structure of this is there's a lot of movies about high school and nerds Mm. trying to like make the most of their lives or whatever Mm. like that but I love seeing these stories get reworked from generation to generation because you get to see younger generations evolve and become better people yeah 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 <laughs> like this this movie 10 years ago they're way better people now.
0: Yeah, they're, like, they're just I've, better people now. Co- compare this to like a completely immoral mess, like Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, uh, w- which features like voyeurism and sexual assault. There is like crimes going on for at the every hero. For
1: every one like yeah. empowering moment in Revenge of the Nerds, there is twenty moments where these characters are clearly the villain in every other movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They, like plant cameras in girls' bedrooms. Yeah, and these there's are the, horrible yeah, things. There is like a, a sex scene where somebody wears a mask and like reveals Pretends their identity to be afterwards. Yeah, yeah it's, it's awful. It's fucked yeah. up. It is
1: fucked up. Mm. And there's a little bit of that in Booksmart. There's a character, mm. um, uh, Jessica... Um, oh, what's her name? From uh, from uh, Jessica Williams?
0: Oh, the, the guidance counselor character. Uh, I think she's a teacher, but yeah. or oh, the teacher, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's a there's a character who plays... She does some things that are not on the other <laughs> um Which is... What, what, whatever. ...in
0: the spirit of this comedy, but... Uh, it, yeah. it,
1: it's a little risque, and I, yeah. it's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love how, this is another one where I love how much respect mm. Olivia Wilde, who's the first-time feature director here. Um, so
0: assured, though. Very with her, strong. With her cast and with filmmaking. She, she yeah. has so
1: much respect for all of her characters, no matter mm. how weird they are, no matter how terrible they seem in some cases. Like they, There's no just bad person. There's no mm. just kooky person. Everyone has a lot of texture here, whether or not yeah. it's uh, revealed right away. Mm. Um, it, it, on some level, for me, this is just an exceptionally good high school party comedy. Mm-hmm. So, which is why it didn't quite crack my top ten. Oh, but it's, but it's exquisitely it, crafted. But it's- Exceptionally good. <laughs> it's really, really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. It just, for, it's just It's just... It's, it's, it, on another year, like last year maybe, uh, this might have cracked my top just, ten, but this is such a good year I couldn't find space for my it's top hilarious. ten.
0: It's hilarious. It's warm. It is just so good. Okay. Well,
1: my number three... and I only mm. have a couple left because you took my number one, you bastard. Uh, no, th- I didn't, didn't
0: take <laughs> it. It's still, <laughs> it's still a great film.
1: My number one... Mm. Uh, sorry, my number three mm. is uh, Celine Sciamma's uh, Portrait mm. of a Lady on Fire. Oh, well, you just took my number one. Oh, shit. That's funny. All right, well... Karma, I guess. Mm. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a really, mm. really, really affecting romance. And and we had this conversation on the podcast. We reviewed this a couple of weeks ago. And I have still not come up with like another alternative for this. Mm. I don't think the 2010s have been a particularly strong decade for romance movies. Mm. There just aren't a lot of really great classic some romances people, that have
0: emerged. Some people might say stuff like... Uh la-la
1: land. I'm not saying there were no good ones but I just don't think we've had a lot of exceptional ones and I was when I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire and by by when I was bawling at the end of it twice (laughs) like twice in a row it got me um, I was thinking to myself is this the best romantic movie of the decade and I think there's a really good argument that it is to the extent that I'm actually surprised it's not my number one but there's a story about a, a, a woman, was it the 18th century?
0: It's 18th, yeah. Late 18th century. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, she like is 1780s, uh... a young woman. She is, she is a painter and she is hired to paint a, another young woman in the hopes that this painting will entice a suitor, a rich suitor from Italy. Mm. So then that will help the family stave off destitution. Uh, however, the woman is uh, incredibly uh, unwilling. To be part of this marriage She was uh, recently In a convent And she was taken out Of the convent When her older sister Killed herself And now it is up to her To marry to save the family um, And she doesn't want Any part of this So mm. the painter Pretends to be someone Who is hired to just Be her friend Which is not An uncommon job mm. And then whenever She's not with her She's supposed to be Painting her on the sly the sly. Mm. And naturally, they fall in love. But it's not <laughs> as simple well, as all that. It's actually really, really rich and layered and complicated. The,
0: the, uh, this is about sort of the female gaze, as it were. Yeah. Um, there, There's a lot of people compared this to... Um, uh, Blue is the warmest color. Another mm. uh, rather good lesbian romance from a couple years back, but and a film that
1: suffers a bit from being directed being by a man. Directed by who
0: man, and there's there's this kind like of yeah, would, yeah. there's this kind of male gaziness to the sex scenes. Uh, Celine Chiama is more interested in that look, yeah, the way looking at another person and being with them, and just sort of uh, this weird sort of visual profound understanding of that person's heart you get from understanding them by looking at them. This is really uh, stressing how important it is, not just to look at somebody, but to see them. Well, and also
1: to be seen in return. Like mm. half the movie is... Well, uh, the, our, I was going yeah, to get to that. Yeah, this. half the movie yeah. is our painter just, just looking at this other woman. And the other half of the movie is realizing that she's looking back at the same time, and mm-hmm. how that relationship between artist and subject and lover and lover mm-hmm. is entirely mutual, yeah, yeah. and it's you can't only have it one way. It's it's like not living the full human experience mm-hmm. if yeah, you're doing yeah. that. Oh, it's so that, beautifully acted, and it's that, sexy, that full,
0: and it's that romantic. Full, fullness of human experience, I think, is, is is that's is the greatest way to describe this yeah. one because. There is just that kind of, there's that that sexiness and that romance and that smolder, but there is not a even a distant whiff of melodrama to any of this. Not really, even it though in some respects,
1: any sort of like lurid romantic novel could begin the same
0: exact yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, this is not like lesbian bodice ripper by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, yeah. Celine Chiama. Uh, it keeps the sex tastefully off camera. Yeah, there's a little bit there's, of nudity, but not some, much. Well, there's some nudity, and there's there's this really wonderful shot of mm. uh, a mirror propped up against someone's crotch, which is just yeah. gorgeously photographed. But uh, yeah, it's it's not about that kind of outpouring of just base lust, yeah. and not not to, that lust well, is base, what... but you know, it's it it is more about that c- profound connection and how because they're gay women in the late 18th century, how this is something that can be... A little bit more intimately theirs, and how we kind of understand that there's a little bit of a tragedy that this is going to have to stay hidden. There,
1: there's a period uh, of time in the movie where um, our our two lovers and one maid who is, you know, doesn't give a shit. She's fine. She's got her own problems to deal with. But
0: they're well, all the, alone. But her, her her problems are actually very important. They're incredibly the story, important. I just yeah. I
1: didn't want to get too sidetracked because right. we got to stay a little focused. Because there's still have more movies to talk about. But there's this period of time in the movie where they're they get to be alone. And free. They get to say whatever they want, they get to spend their time however they want, Mm -hmm. they get to do whatever they want. And it is this act of pure liberation and the fact that that time is finite is this ultimate
0: terrible tragedy yeah. it's a terrible tragedy it makes it much more intensely romantic and not in an adolescent sort of way no. where you know, it's like oh no death is hanging over you because yeah. we're twilight uh, It's yeah. It, yeah, or even oh you know, no mom I'm, and dad are coming home like yeah. no, no it's not even that yeah. it's something really profound um I now cry when I hear Vivaldi because uh, <laughs> the Four Seasons comes into like big yeah. plan. First of all, put, put Vivaldi in all your movies because it's just great. Uh, watch watch some old genre war films where you just said, "What was your inspiration for making this movie?" Well, I was to a Vivaldi record, and well, that's it. Uh, yeah, the Four Seasons is like a very important musical symbol for the two of them. Mm. The final long penetrating shot. Of, uh, which is another simple act of looking, yeah. It just had me like. It's so goddamn uh, good. Kind of There's, like just from my very pit weeping. And as weeping far as for I'm this concerned, this movie
1: has a perfect ending, mm-hmm. and then it has another even more perfect ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how you do it's, that. Like, one perfect ending is hard mm-hmm. enough. Two in mm-hmm. a row.
0: Well, how the hell did you do that? That's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just about art and love and life and the way the in, the the mind and the heart interplay with one another and the actual like falling in love scene that sort of dream sequence of mm-hmm. all the women singing on the cliff oh, uh, is so just one of the more sublime moments of cinema of this year yeah. I think it's the best film of the year I'm not
1: going to fight you on it it came I'm very not... close all my top three we're, actually mm-hmm.
0: we're just all yeah, can, all jumbled together can I skip ahead to my two because my number one and my number two are kind of two sides of the same coin because one is well, about yeah. two you, I think you
1: were next anyway yeah, I guess so I'm next ahead. anyway so my
0: number two because one is about two women on an island together looking at each other and bonding and forming a very special friendship my number two is about two men on an island together looking at each other all the time and finding a very special friendship. But it's one where, at the end, they just want to beat each other's heads into the ground, and it's Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. <laughs> which is about mud, misery, and madness, my three favorite things. Uh, <laughs> takes place in a lighthouse. Uh, it's like the early 20th century. They're, uh, it's Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are... Two ignorant, filthy, horrible old salts who hate each other and the world, and good (laughs) golly, it's great. Uh, They do nothing but uh, bicker. Willem Dafoe is is the one in charge, so he's the one who's kind of lording what tiny bits of power he has over uh, Robert Pattinson. He's the only one up allowed to take care of the light, and we learn that it's because he goes up there, strips naked, and falls into this weird kind of religious fugue state. Mm -hmm. Possibly with the Cthulhu beast, or maybe not. Who the hell knows? Possibly with the the spirit of the ocean or Davy Jones himself. Meanwhile, uh, Robert Pattinson is below drinking oil, masturbating, and having fantasies about a uh, mermaid that may or may not be washing up on shore to have sex with him. Uh, also, there is a one-eyed seagull that is tormenting him. <laughs> <laughs> And whose dead body will end up poisoning them. It's about just sort of how difficult this job is just from a physical standpoint because it's always raining. I don't know. And time doesn't exist here.
1: Yeah, it all just falls apart. There's there's a hurricane and you never, and you don't know if it lasts for a day or a year. Yeah. You have no idea. There's there's misery and hell
0: and insanity. Willem Dafoe is so excellent as this like, Old pirate character. He's like the pirate character from The Simpsons. He's like, <laughs> this weird broad archetype. He's I'll like, just take some teddy grams for the road. Yeah. <laughs> how long have I been on this rock? Help me to recollect. And he has this wonderful speech in the middle where he just oh he damn someone to hell. Cusses out Robert Pattinson. It's the most intense three straight minutes. It's the it's most so intense un- cussing
1: out I've ever seen in a movie. I think it,
0: this film is so my jam. <laughs> it, it really is. I I, I love this it's movie ex- a lot. Exquisite black and white photography. Every frame is just gorgeous to look at. Um, it is so ecstatically miserable yeah. that I can't help but walk away feeling utterly thrilled.
1: I, 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 I love this movie. I think it was fantastic. It didn't make my best of or runners up. Really? Which is more of a function right. of the year than it is a function of the lighthouse. All right. When I think of the lighthouse, I am reminded of, and I, I wish I knew who originally made this comparison. It may be millennial for all I know, mm. uh, that there is a very thin line between horror and comedy.
0: <laughs> There's a very, yeah, very, yeah. very, I, very thin line. I think this line. one rides it perfectly, though, because yeah. you're terrified while you're cackling. and bleeding. I
1: think so. I think their situation is farcical. Because yeah, they're just yeah, yeah. trapped there through circumstance, or maybe the curse of the seagull, or whatever. <laughs> and like seeing them just, inc- these two horrible people mm-hmm. just suffer, there's something sort of karmic about it. That, like, you can't be, like, too horrified for them, because mm. these guys don't really deserve much better than this. No, no, no. Um, but it is also right. really tragic mm-hmm. and terrible, and you, it's oh, perfectly reasonable if your response to this movie is revulsion and fear. And <laughs> I love that it's both things at the same time. Um, the cinematography is, I would actually argue, the best cinematography of the year. Oh, for sure. I, and yeah. I know a lot of people are like, 1917, what a camera. Wh-. I, I, okay, that's the best, like, camera operating of the year, yeah. is 1917. One hundred percent. If there's a camera operating Oscar, you give it to 1917. The black and white lighting and friend uh, and um, almost Academy ratio framing, just a square yeah. framing for the lighthouse.
0: It's a it's it, one three seven. It's not perfect square. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh,
1: it's uh, regardless. Mm. It is distinct and gorgeous. Mm. So glad I saw this on a big screen. Yeah. Because usually when you think about the big screen, you think about like the inky, dark parts of the screen and Mm -hmm. how sometimes TVs aren't calibrated well enough to handle all that much darkness. Mm -hmm. It was the brightness that actually took me completely (laughs) by surprise. The incredible contrast uh, between just just light is actually as scary as darkness in the lighthouse which I think is a really incredible Mm. achievement visually um everyone's great in it it's fantastic I I just didn't leave that long an impression on me like when I I told you like I just sat down and tried to remember the movies Mm. that I keep coming back to just by chance just in my life Uh lighthouse didn't make the cut oh it just just, I don't keep coming back to it Mm. but every time you bring it up I'm like that was a great It just it didn't quite make my list.
0: There's there's not a day goes by that I don't yell, I can't stand your farts! (laughs) Okay, well.
1: I suppose if you would... I'm glad I don't fart enough
0: that you actually need to make this a regular part of my life. My
1: number two is a film that actually... This is actually really weird for me because if... Like a week ago, this might not have cracked my top Uh ten. And then I had an experience Hmm. that made me realize... How incredibly vital this movie is, mm. and why I do think it is a really important film for right now. Yeah, uh, and it's Jojo Rabbit. Really, Jojo Rabbit ended up rocketing back up my top ten, less okay. after a personal experience I had. So, Jojo Rabbit, mm. if you if you missed it, if you didn't see your episode about it, it. It never really hit wide, wide, wide release, but mm. it's really, really good. It's a new film from Taika Waititi. Uh, who directed great indies like Boy and What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, and mm-hmm. more recently, he's done stuff like Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And um, he also did an episode of The Mandalorian recently, which I hear is oh, a did good episode. Okay. I hear it's a good episode. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, uh,
0: TV directed is a lot different, but yeah. Right, apparently, he,
1: he got to bring his own joie de vivre mm-hmm. to it. Um, yeah. And uh, this new film, is it's based on a novel and it is about a young boy mm-hmm. who is a true believer Nazi because he grew up in Nazi Germany in World War II. It is around 1943. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing is on the wall, but the propaganda is still on the wall as well. Yeah. And everyone is just really v- openly Nazi. Just openly <laughs> racist and <laughs> they're, nationalist and shitty not believing Nazis, in terrible things.
0: The Nazis in this movie are Spielberg Nazis. They're like Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Like, they're really... Well, they're arch. They're very yeah, arch. And, they're really broad archetypes. And I...
1: Not unthreatening, but... No, 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 no. He's just immersed in this, and he doesn't Mm. know any better. Yeah. Um, This is just, he's had to, this is what he's had to adapt to in order to be a part of society. He's going to be a good young Nazi. Mm. Uh, And what he discovers is that, although his mother talks a big game outside, his mother has actually been hiding a teenage Jewish girl on the walls of their house uh, Mm. in order to save her life, because she's actually very much an objector, but she's had to pretend in order to prevent her death and the death of her son and she hasn't told her son yet because he's too young and she doesn't think he can keep the secret of we're not actually Nazis Mm. the boy finds out about the girl living in his walls Uh and he starts slowly Mm. questioning everything he's been told that he had just taken for granted Uh and he starts realizing just how horrible everyone around him really is Mm. Taika Waititi plays this up like a farce yeah and he's not the first person to treat Nazism as a farce, everything from To Be or Not To Be, The Great Dictator, The Producers, it's been done. Um, he captures it really beautifully, though, because he is ta- hes showing us what it looks like to be someone who is halfway sane in a world where insanity is the new sane. Right. That's that's the thing here. Everyone is agreeing to believe in really horrible things that no human being in their right mind would ever believe. But why are they doing it? Because it is the new normal, and they have to. Yeah. Some of them genuinely believe it because they're shitty. Some of them buy into it because it's the only way to succeed, even though they have secret parts of their lives that if anyone knew about, they would be the first ones to go. Yeah. It is all about the adaptational process, but how no matter how much you try to convince yourself that hate mm. and and evil is, is normal, mm. it is always obviously stupid. Now yeah. I had an experience <laughs> this isn't like a huge moment. And there's lots of horrible moments. And we see them all the time, all the news. But I had such a farcical moment <laughs> recently that I was such a, it was like, oh my God, I'm living in JoJo Rabbit. I think Taika Waititi nailed this. <laughs> okay. um, we, we, Winnie and I live in West LA, hmm. it's just Los Angeles. It's any other part of Los Angeles. Nothing terribly remarkable about it. Um, however, for Christmas, in order to get like really good produce for Christmas dinner, we ended up going to a Bristol Farms in Brentwood. Oh golly! Brentwood, Brentwood is a very posh part of town. It's
0: it's, it's very one of the,
1: expensive. One of the wealthier neighborhoods in LA. Yeah. yeah, and as a result, they get a lot of like the good grocery stores and things. So we were like, okay, listen, we'll we'll we're not going to spend twenty dollars on
0: a stick of butter, but, but
1: they have you, good if carrots. If we'll you, get the if best you need produce like there.
0: High quality quince jam, or something. yeah, or like yeah, a yeah, really gotta, good butcher.
1: Like there's a really good place yeah. to go. There's Bristol Farms is everywhere, but Brentwood they'll have the best stuff. So we went, and we. Got our got our groceries, got our garlic, got our carrots, picked up something from the butcher shop. And we were just like, you know, this place is nice. Maybe we should come here more often. And then we overheard someone in the produce section talking to someone who worked there mm. about how I only want to buy these gar this garlic if it's American garlic. What? Okay. This is American garlic, right? Mm. And he's like, Well well, yeah okay, because I heard Chinese garlic is different. I don't want any Chinese garlic. And the guy's like, well, once it comes here, it's American, right? Like, now it's, <laughs> now it's immigra- the garlic is immigrated to the United States. And he's just like, and you find the, the, the conversation devolved into the guy actually saying, I'm trying to make garlic great again. And oh I'm like, I watch this, I'm just like, oh my God, if this was in Jojo Rabbit, everyone would be like, <laughs> that's such a funny conversation, no one would ever say yeah. that. That's a thing right now. That is a thing. Yeah. People are actually having that conversation. It's so it's w- weird disturbingly prescient. Yeah, the way that this, the way that well, the farce in this movie is accurate. Oh. That's the thing that scared the shit out of me, and that's what made Jojo Rabbit just feel so much more relevant. Okay, even I knew it was relevant before. I just re- I respected it. it. Would have been yeah, honorable it's, it's, mentions, it's, but yeah, no, I'm films, increasingly films convinced about, yeah, this is a really important movie
0: right now. Films about fascism right now are are particularly important because we've seen the rise of like extreme right nationalism all over the world, and it's really distressing for a lot of people. And yeah, this kind of. It, it, anti-immigrant, we're going to be our own nation, kind of sentiment, and mm. I think uh, Jojo Rabbit is, yeah, using a kind of a, a child's point of view and broad comedic farce to take the piss. Yeah, and uh, and it does it very cannily. Mm. Um, I, I you know I've seen things like you know mm. the producers and all right. of the films that do the same sort of thing, and I think in a lot more canny way. I think this is a little bit more gentle about it. But, yeah, I can see how an experience like that would, would make you see Jojo Rabbit in a new light. Just,
1: it just reminded me that, like, you can't mm-hmm. take this kind yeah. of story for granted. You really okay. can. not You do need to really engage with it, and you do need to recognize that these movies aren't existing in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And Jojo Rabbit went from being, good one, I'm impressed with the tightrope act. It was funny, and it was very, very sad. Uh-huh. A lot of really, really great performances, and I don't think Scarlett Johansson's ever been better. I finally saw *Marriage Story*; she's way better in *Jojo Rabbit*. She's a really good. Well, she
0: she's uh, in in, with *Marriage Story* and with *Jojo Rabbit*. She's playing more human characters, which she hasn't done a lot in her career. (laughs) That's
1: true. Um, but no, this is a really incredible movie, and it's, I'm increasingly convinced of its greatness as opposed to merely its goodness. Okay, um, yeah, and I, then Jojo Rabbit didn't even make my runners up, <laughs> so the, <laughs> we're, we're really divided. This I year. love that. Uh, I love that, th- and, and,
0: I, and I don't even disagree with any of your picks. Yeah. There's a couple I haven't seen, uh, but all of them are like yeah. they're good. Just didn't make my list. Uh, as I've been saying throughout the year, this has been an excellent year for films directed by women. Five yeah. of my ten are directed by women. Um, uh, you mentioned Hustlers. Uh, you mentioned The Farewell. I've got yeah, uh, uh, The
1: Farewell, Nightingale. Uh, Little Women, Portrait
0: of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, um, I, is that five? One, two, one two, three, four, It's four at least. Four. Yeah. Um, Portrait of a Lady, Lady on Fire, Booksmart. Uh, no, I got five. Little Women, the, and the Souvenir, and High Life are all directed by women. I've got uh,
1: Little Women, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, The Farewell, Hustlers, and Nightingale. So yeah. that's five. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So th- this has been a wonderful year. There's also uh, films like uh, Fast Color, uh, which was directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, uh, just uh,
1: well, what? actually, well, let's. This is a good opportunity for this. Let's All talk right. about it. runners-up real fast. Just as a reminder. My number one was Little Women. Okay. Whitney's number one was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We already talked about those. Um, just honorable mention. You get like one sentence each to just right. talk them up. Go uh, for
0: it. I, I did put the Nightingale. I nearly made the list. Uh, uh, Gloria Bell is a really excellent film about insane. sort of the glories of just being an ordinary middle-aged woman, and Julianne Moore um, gives an excellent performance. Nobody's talking about it. I don't I, know why. I, she's I thought you were going to say about the glories of being a bell well it is Gloria Bell yeah, I um, uh, I, Hustlers is on my runners out the farewell Midsommar is a very peculiar horror movie <laughs> about a very bad relationship yeah. I, I think the bad relationship is what makes gives it like a lot of its heft yeah but the weirdness is undeniable I love the uh, are, cinematography in that movie I think yeah. it's really
1: gorgeous I think the
0: performance well, you're talking are really about great the, the brightness of the lighthouse yeah. that's Midsommar it takes place oh, during, it's a horror film that's all I, during the day I, I
1: just felt it was a little reliant on like some familiar tropes and stuff like yeah. the Wicker Man or whatever I, but I, like that's that's the only thing that kept it off my list I, I not in mind, then, yeah. that
0: sort of thing. Uh, Parasite is on my runners-up list. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. It just didn't have quite the same punch with me personally. Yeah. I think The Irishman has some very important things to say, particularly in the last 30 minutes. Yeah, but You, gotta where, get, you but can't you, just skip to it. You, you have, have to watch the wait through three yeah. hours to get to that last 30 minutes uh, and that's something that's keeping it off my list. Is you have to
1: wait a long time. I, one of the ones um, where I feel like it could be a little mm, shorter.
0: I think you wouldn't lose
1: a lot. Yeah. If you lost 15 minutes of that movie, mm, I think it still conveys the same basic message. A
0: lot of a lot of driving that you could cut out <laughs> <that> of <laughs> that movie. Could, you <laughs> They uh, could snip it a little There's a really great uh, German horror film about a zombie apocalypse called On Sight, which mm. I really, really liked. About oh. uh, two young women traveling across a post-apocalypse. I forgot about that stick. one. Good yeah, call, it was yeah, a really good one. Good callback. Uh, Toy Story 4 is bloody hilarious, and it's a little weird. It addresses a lot of the weird shit that's going on in the Toy Story franchise, <laughs> finally, which I really appreciate it. I
1: appreciate it. I still think uh, they did a great job of it, but mm, I appreciate that they went mm, there. Yeah. I'll give
0: uh a lot of people are raving about, and I am too, knives out. Ryan Johnson's Who Done It. I think it's uh, a very clever, very funny movie with a very important political message.
1: It's really entertaining. I hope people see it. It Keeping it off my list was, I guess, the ending way too early. Uh, yeah, I guess that's so. that's just it. As a Who Done It, I guess you Done It a little too early. Oh, okay, that, uh, that's really not even the movie's <laughs> fault, but I just I can't like really fall in love with that.
0: If you want an arty, soulful X Men Origins Storm, you can watch Fast <laughs> Color. Uh, that's a really great movie, and it also has uh, X Ray Specs over the credit, which is going to get me every time. Nice. Uh, there's a really wonderful kids fantasy film that came out really early in the year from Joe Cornish called The Kid Who Would Be King. I still haven't seen which that. Which is about actual heroism, and I appreciate I really, that. I really wanted to see that. I never got around yeah, to really it. It's really sweet. Uh There's a. really really great film, uh, Turkish film that captured that post-college malaise where you think, you know, everything oh, called yeah. the wild pear tree. Oh, I remember reading yeah, a that, lot yeah. of like long conversations about philosophy and about how that's not getting you anywhere in life. <laughs> and how like the young, the young main character has this like kind of intense argu- argument with a professor, mm-hmm. how the professor just eventually loses all patience with him because like, no, well, what about this philosophy? Just get a job, you little jerk. <laughs> Um, it's it's not a great film but I feel it's really underrated but Richard Linklater's Where Do You Go Bernadette I think okay. it has a really good point about uh, sort of the artist's mind uh, even though it's like kind of hero worshipy in a lot of ways and I really liked the, the Senegalese film Atlantics mm. about sort of the struggle of the working class and sort of the way it folds in this peculiar supernatural element interesting okay um Well, my runners-up –
1: I didn't – did you count how many you did? No, Um, uh, it's just a bunch. All right, my runners-up include, in no particular order, Doctor Mm. Sleep, uh, which I think is a really really fantastic horror Mm. movie that works, A, as just this exciting and creepy horror film about wrestling with substance abuse and generational uh, qualities of substance abuse, but also Mm. is a really fascinating conversation about – The adaptational process and Uh, the way that previously existing stories mm -hmm. influence the way new stories are told and the conversation being had in that movie between Stephen King's novel Mm -hmm. and Stanley Kubrick's film by way of Dr. Sleep is something I think we're really going to study a lot over the years. I think that's really going to be the thing that keeps this movie really relevant. I
0: I haven't read The Shining, so Uh, I don't feel that as much as a lot of Stephen King
1: fans. I I get it. I get it. Mm. But I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, Uncut Gems is a really, really... corker of a thriller. It's uh, a panic attack movie. Yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler plays a jeweler who mm. uh, makes all the wrong decisions, and his life is always like a half second away from being ended by Lone Sharks. <laughs> um, I it, Part of me thinks it shouldn't work, but it does through sheer force of will. Uh-huh. Um, it's really, really fantastic, and I, I part of me actually hopes he does get an Oscar nomination for it, because yeah. he's perfect. Uh, Klaus. Really wonderful animated movie. Klaus is really good. I, I think it's my pick for the best animated mm. movie of the year. Uh, it's a really sweet it's an origin story of santa claus but what Mm. i love about it is when the movie begins you have no idea how we're getting there like you're just like um is this am i watching the right film and then the way (laughs) it organically leads to something that you know is sort of contrived because it's the point of the movie Uh it's a really exciting piece of writing
0: and the animation quality itself Mm. is really unique and wonderful i i love that it's Sets all of the origins of secular Christmas traditions mm. in bitterness and spite.
1: Yeah, and bureaucracy. too. <laughs> <yeah>, b- bureaucracy <laughs> like and capitalism. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's so great. It, it's, but it, but it, the, all the good things came out of that as well, and right? that's something you got yeah, beautiful yeah, yeah. about that. Uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. <laughs> oh, I
0: missed it. I wanted is, to see that. So is
1: such a charmer. Mm-hmm. It is a really wonderful kids movie. There's not a lot more to it than that, mm-hmm. but it's such a really just. Just a refreshingly sweet, kind, funny movie. Like I would, I would show this to any kid. Yeah, and I think they'd enjoy it. It's such a great film. Uh, Smart made my runners up as okay. well. It's a really wonderful caper film. Um, let's see, ter- uh, Terminator: Dark Fate made my runners up. Really, I think it is an exceptionally well made uh, blockbuster in a year where a lot of the blockbusters were a
0: little ha- a little lackluster. Yeah, uh, like most of them were like I, I okay. Like, but... I like Shazam, but yeah, there was
1: yeah. Shazam was really really good. Yeah. I Avengers Endgame did everything it set out to do. Yeah, Kudos it, it, for that. It was
0: fine. Um, um, I, I was not fond of Captain Marvel. I was not fond of uh, Alita, Mar- Alita Battle Angel. Captain um, Marvel was fine.
1: Alita is there's a lot of really great inventiveness in Alita, but it's all just jammed
0: together. Yeah, it's like it's for, just like they took it's the unwieldy ideas for four movies yeah. and just put them all together. It's, it, it's unwieldy, written, but the... it's still fun to watch and I do like okay. it a lot. There, there's um, I, there's also some unsavory like body imagery stuff and, but in there there's also like, a lot of really yeah.
1: savory stuff where they talk about sort of the trans experience as your body involves I'll, I'll, yeah a little bit um, there, it's a complicated film mm-hmm. I look forward to revisiting it a couple of times and seeing how
0: it like lingers uh, but yeah I think that, for me that Spider-Man film actively made me not want to see any more Spider-Man anymore there's bits I liked yeah.
1: in it but I don't think it's a very good film yeah no Terminator Dark Fate I love because it's, it's very well crafted from beginning to end the action's great the characters are great But I also love just how contemporary it really feels and how it incorporates elements of daily life that we take for granted now that 20 years ago would be the dystopia we're fighting against. (laughs) Like significant part of it takes place at the concentration camps at the border. That's Mm -hmm. a major set piece. And it does that without really making a big deal out of it. And there's something that's extra horrifying about that. In some respects, it feels like the first modern Blockbuster of like I, of a new I, generation.
0: I can appreciate that. I yeah. just I, I couldn't get behind the convoluted plotting and the bad characterization. I, I didn't
1: find it that convoluted, and I actually uh, like the characters. But what yeah. are you going to do? Uh, the art of self defense very nearly made my top ten. Uh, that's another one I wanted to see. I right. really admire this one. I was I feel a little bad for not making it uh, for not making the official list, although it is on like my top nineteen. Uh, okay. But uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays uh, a guy who is exceptionally insecure, and who after being mugged. Uh, decides to learn how to defend himself, and ends up falling in with a cult of extreme toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like Fight Club, with, if Fight Club wasn't trying to indoctrinate you into the cult. okay. If <laughs> Fight Club was about how shitty this is, yeah. but it's still very well, F- funny. Fight
0: Club is nominally about that, but it's so cool it's that's, hard to tell the difference. That's the thing. Yeah. Fight Club is
1: is simultaneously the thing it's satirizing. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
1: some people only take it on that level. You can't do that with the art of self-defense. And there's something a lot more kind of perverse about it in that way. It feels, like, really gross. But Mm. I think in a way that we need to see. It's also very funny, and the performances are really, really good. Um, And then two more, uh, Crawl, find me a better alligator in a basement movie. Uh, Crawl.
0: Yeah. Uh They said "crawl" like the 1983 fantasy. They film. re-released "crawl" and it's so good now. No, no, "crawl" no. With, with a few new surprises. Krull,
1: "Crawl" C R A W L came out this summer. Made some money. I feel like it's getting a little overlooked now. Uh, it is about a young woman whose father is going missing, and there's a hurricane. And she goes to his house, and it turns out he has injured himself. He's in the basement. Also in the basement, man-eating alligator. It's so—it's the perfect version of really? that. Like, try to make a better version of that. You can't. It's yeah, so exceptionally well crafted.
0: Yeah, apart from like *Midsommar* and *Us*, there was a pretty good year for horror movies because there was hmm. also, um, uh, oh golly, the title—the Spanish language film uh, *Tigers, uh, Tigers Are, are, are Tigers aren't Afraid*, which you love. *Tigers Are Afraid* is really, really good. I didn't get a chance to see that one. <laughs> um, it's so good. I forgot the title. Uh, t- <laughs> *Tigers Are Not Afraid* is really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that just, mm-hmm. just a lot of really great things that are just sort of coming along. Shutter is just putting a lot of these things out. and they're doing a, a great Shutter job of it. Uh,
1: my last pick, my old Girl on the Third Floor is another one I really liked. I mm-hmm. couldn't find room for. Um, but my last one, and this is one where I feel like when you're talking about the best films of a year, uh-huh. we understand that, of course, this is subjective. Uh-huh. We understand that it is a matter of taste. We understand that some people might view taste as a somewhat objective thing, and maybe... You know, a movie that looks bad to other people might actually be exactly perfect,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is why High Strung Freedance <laughs> is officially <laughs> on my runners up and it's on my top nineteen. Uh. High Strung Freedance is—I've uh, used this word a couple of times lately, but because we're only talking about the best movies of the year, uh. it's ecstatic. <laughs> it's cheesy. It's silly. It is about a pianist who falls in with a dancer, and like they're both amateurs, or they're both like they're not famous, and they get roped into being the big stars of a Broadway show. And they sleep with the wrong people, and they dance, and they <laughs> piano it up. There's a scene where a piano collapses on stage and then rebuilds itself as his as his confidence comes back together again. Is it it like is pristine. It's that's uh, what it looks like. It's. Awesome! It is really... If you like the step-up movies, mm. and I know you do because you're good people...
0: You're good people, you listen to us. You like those step-up movies.
1: They're, they're, they're sincere. They're silly, but it all comes from a place of absolute sincerity, of just believing in this golly shucks, gee whiz... The
0: dance if, is magical. If yeah. Fred
1: Astaire and Ginger Rogers had starred in this, in the 30s, mm. be it, would be, it yeah. would be considered a classic. It's that kind of... You, you're watching Swing Time and you realize the plot doesn't work, but who gives a shit? Uh-huh. That's kind of High Strung Free Dance. Is it uh-huh. as good as Swing Time? No. But we don't have Swing Time right now. I'll take what I can get. High Strung Free <laughs> Dance is a delight. Yeah, yeah, So on its own level, it makes my list of the best films of the year, at All least in right. the runners-up. Uh, so that is our list of the best films of the year. Uh, we hope we've recommended a bunch of films that you check out. Uh, if you didn't like some of the films that we recommended, we hope you reconsider them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, fair enough you don't have to like everything we like and vice versa and nothing will prove that harder than next week's show when we talk about our picks
0: for the worst films of 2019 oh and that's that's going to be a rough one cuz there a lot of great films uh, surprisingly not a high volume of bad films no, this year no not as
1: bad i might, I might but, even limit myself to a bottom 5 this year honestly yeah, like yeah I,
0: I was actually trying to fight to remember some of the ones i really yeah, really hated because uh, i think there are some i really hated but yeah i th- think that there's
1: this there's a turn and you were talking about this on twitter recently um, against so-called worst of lists, uh, um, as though they are disrespectful to filmmakers, uh, or uh, that they all they do is promote activity or all they are is dunking on bad films. I think they serve a lot of valuable functions yeah, if you do them good. right. Yeah, there are people who only use them to dunk on obvious bad targets. It's we like, cri- we criticize the Razzies all the, the time. The, the, the Razzies the same
0: thing. are probably the prime example. I think that's yeah. what people refer to when they say like bad faith arguments or you know, yeah. using the opportunity to just sort of pick at the low hanging fruit. And they're a great I example think, of that. Absolutely. However, I think worst of lists do serve a very vital function because we're not just sort of finding great films. We're sort of taking an entire stock of the whole of the cinematic landscape. Yeah, this is
1: these lists that we do. Mm. And, yeah, they evolve over time. Mm. And if we gave the same list in a year, they'd probably be a little different. Uh, But these are kind of for posterity. Mm. And if we write all of the mistakes out of posterity, if we, like, say, like, all the bad stuff didn't happen. Uh Uh-huh. That's not helping anybody. Yeah. I do believe that, that it is important to look over the films that we didn't care for, the films that we do believe have distinct things that need criticizing so that we can learn from those mistakes in the mm. future. That's really valuable. I also think that as critics, it really helps people who follow us, read our work, listen to our podcast, follow us on Twitter, whatever, uh, to know not just what we like, but also what we don't like. And that can mm. inform you based on our opinions. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. not just, oh, you also like this. Okay, but I also didn't like this. Mm. That's a more complete picture. So we're going to revisit those films that we think we really need to learn the most from and we're going to do it not to just be shitty jerks. We're doing it because we think it serves a function in criticism. We're going to be as respectful as we can in the process.
0: While also well, well, saying sometimes well, we hate these movies. While also wailing in agony, because <laughs> well, you know what? It's, sometimes they hurt, okay? Well, uh, they hurt us. There, there's this weird sort of tone of the conversation where, like, hating a movie is almost seen as an unethical practice now. Somebody yeah. worked really hard. Somebody really loves that. And when you say you hate it, you're insulting a person who loved it. No. No. I'm not. First of all, every film is worked very hard upon, okay? And, you know, yeah. saying somebody worked hard on that is... Kind of anathematic criticisms. Okay, mm. so I can't criticize anything because somebody worked on it. No, of yeah. course not. We're not here to. The, I think you're not allowed not to, to gauge your toil. I we're think here you're to not allowed judge to complain about results. multiple
1: films in the same article or podcast. I think that might be where the line is. Maybe so. Maybe that's just too much negativity. Yeah, I guess Throwing so. too wide a net, maybe. I, uh,
0: I, I see the lists as the best of and the worst of as kind of reference points. Yeah. Like, go back and read the reviews. This is just sort of like the hyperlink of yeah. all of those things. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah I agree. That, I think there's a lot that's, of functions. That's the function of those lists. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with them at yeah, all. Same. Uh, I think they're very vital. And I think uh, in if, 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 as a critic, you have to see everything and you see some crap that you hate... As a critic, it can be kind of therapeutic to blow off a little steam, and I think there's actually kind of a thrill, personally, to watch an otherwise dignified film critic kind of lose their cool a little bit. Well, movies are trying to give us, make us have an emotional reaction. Sometimes the emotional reaction dude. is negative. Yeah, and, and some of my favorite writings from Roger Ebert are his three volumes of nothing but negative reviews, like yeah. two and a half stars and below. Yeah. One called I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie, one is called uh, I... Your movie sucks? Uh, One is called Your Movie Sucks, and the other is called, like, an unbearable, it's a horrible experience of unbearable length, or something along those lines. Uh, All all taken from reviews he wrote.
1: Yeah. Um, Anyway, I I try to reserve my truly negative criticism for films that really deserve it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll hear about a few of those next week. And
0: often, films do. That's true. That's true.
1: Um, But yeah, it was such a good year for cinema that there aren't as many genuinely terrible movies as there often are. But and there that's are a real some treat. There are
0: some bad ones. That there I'd are like some bad ones. About about we'll them, yeah. we'll
1: talk about them next week. Um, also, a week after that, we'll be back with our picks for the best movies of the decade, and also our picks for the best, for the worst movies of the decade the week after that. And somewhere in the middle there, we'll probably start reviewing new movies for January, mm-hmm. but it's always a slow start. Yeah. Um, thank you everybody for listening. If you want to contribute to the show, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Mm -hmm. We have a ton of exclusive content on there. Uh, We're uh, about to do a couple more episodes of our Star Trek podcast. We review every episode in in production order. We're about to do a new episode of uh, Only the Best, where we review every single nominee for Best Picture in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a ton of other cool stuff on there as well. We hope you check it out. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who subscribes to our Patreon right now. We couldn't do this without you. Literally. Would not Mm -hmm. happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at critic acclaim. I'm at Lane Mabiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Um, am I forgetting anything? Uh, that's, that's pretty much it for now. All right. Never forget everyone's a critic, y'all.
0: I want to go to the midnight show.
2: I'm sorry. What?